Welcome back to the Let's Be Friends podcast. This is your host, Kara, and I'm here with my friend and Let's Be Friends contributor, Nicholas Hinton. How are you doing, Nick? Doing pretty good. How are you, Kara? I'm doing really good today, actually. We're recording really early. I don't even know if we've ever recorded this early. And I I love the mornings. I've actually been getting up at like 6.37 lately, and I just feel like it's that whole top of the morning to you, like freshness, renewed. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm good. Yeah. For a lot of people, that's normal, waking up early. But yeah, no, I have to. And I, yeah, the morning is so, um, I just love how quiet it is. Yeah, me too. I like early morning and late night. Those are my favorite parts of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the middle of the day is just chaotic. <laughs> the middle of the, like four o'clock is just like the worst, especially in Texas. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the hottest time of the day. It's, it's really bright. And you're just like, ah, like, where's that? Where's my cave? I want to get into my cave, my Kara cave which I'm in right now. Yeah, I feel the same way. Just like it's, the world's become noisier and noisier and I find myself wanting solitude a lot more. Yeah, no, it totally has. It's just, it's not getting any better around here, that's for sure. And we've been talking about that on our series, The Fake Apocalypse and the False Gospel of Churchianity. We did parts (laughs) one, two, and three, (laughs) the last part of uh, 2023, where we're going over all the conspiracies going on in this world and how it's kind of scripting out what looks like a fake apocalypse. And Mm -hmm. it all ties to this churchianity concept, which is just all these denominations in Christianity. You and I are new Christians. So this is something we've been discovering and learning um, over the last year or so. But we've really been diving into all of that the last three episodes. And then we did a Q and a, which we felt gave a lot of clarity kind of over the whole topic. And that made us feel like this episode, we kind of just want to conclude it and get to something a little bit more different than what we've been focused on. And that's church history and how we got to this churchianity part and how that ties into creating that hyper-reality or simulacrum of Protestantism, which actually you 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 t- you messaged me about earlier today and blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, simulacrum of the truth. Like a, we've been talking, you know, all these episodes. We've talked about the concept of like how simulacrums are a copy of a copy of a copy, and that's I didn't even realize it until recently. But that's exactly what they've done to the truth as well, and that's where you get mega churches and shallow, worthless religion, like Jeremiah said. I think in chapter 29, but, um, yeah, so I just don't feel a huge need to keep like peering even farther and farther into the future. Um, and like decoding the entire fake apocalypse, like maybe we will get back to it someday, but as of right now, I think we have enough where yes, there will be a, a antichrist rise up like a fake one as a distraction and there will be a lot of wars and rumors of wars and the third temple and mark of the beast type stuff. But as we've already described, this stuff is false interpretations of prophecies that have already occurred. However, like we've said, they will seemingly occur again in order to lead the end times Christians astray. Um, and yeah, so like that's that's the main point of the whole fake apocalypse stuff. I don't want to keep uncovering every single conspiracy to drive the point home. Basically, I just want to establish credibility. So if and when these things do happen, people will be weary of 
the false prophets that begin to rise up, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And like you said, the simulacrum, which we a concept we've been talking about a lot in this series, is this copy of a copy, kind of like mm-hmm. a counterfeit of the truth. And it, yeah. we didn't even realize that you discovered it. But that whole like when I say like Protestantism is like a simulacrum, that's not to be offensive to anyone. It's just that there's when there's like the f- almost forty thousand denominations all based off of the same Bible. That's literally like forty thousand little simulacrums of the truth. Yeah, yeah, it's like a bunch of levels of inception deep of from from the original true doctrines and traditions founded by the apostles themselves. Like what we have today no longer resembles anything close to that. Yeah, and like I I tweeted something the other day and I felt apprehensive to do it and I shared it with you beforehand to get your opinion and it was like turns out my worst fear as a new Christian came true. Christianity is like one long game of telephone, and the result of that is these 40,000 denominations. Yeah, so so what conspiracy theorists what conspiracy theorists have like intuitively sensed is correct. Like religion has become a brainwashing method. Religion has become perverted and uh, diluted, but it's just not for the reason the exact reason that they think. Like it seems as if the um false and worthless religion again not to be offensive like i do think like i don't deny a protestant's experience uh with christ but i don't think that they're receiving the full fullness of christ or the full medicine that the original church provides um they don't even really take the eucharist and some of the worship honestly seems like they're not revering god as the creator of the universe of everything right like it's it seems kind of like you're in kindergarten at some of these places. <laughs> and, but um, yeah, no, I, I I agree with what you're saying. And this, again, like you said, this isn't to offend anyone or anything. It's just something we've kind of discovered because when you start, if you're really truly looking for the truth, then you're not just going to stop. You're going to keep right. looking. And what happened is during this series and just being friends with you and are also our friend, please no psyop, just you guys have been like uncovering the church history and it takes you to Jesus Christ. But what it takes you to is not these 40,000 denominations that we see today happening. It, it takes you to something very specific, which we're going to get to. And by no means have has my faith um, dropped at all through learning this stuff. It's only gotten stronger. I only feel like I'm getting closer to God throughout this. And so our ultimate goal, and especially this episode and this whole series, which may have started out kind of confusing or like decoding conspiracies, like you, you know, said, but now we are saying we wanted to show you that to show you that that existed. Now here we're giving you the, we're kind of hoping to get closer to the truth. This is this is where we're, like the help is coming in, the clarity. This is the reason for this is to share what we've discovered because it is pretty simple, but it's actually very complex. But simply put, it's changed me forever. Like when I realized that basically we have these 40,000 denominations now, I'm a new Christian. I didn't even know Catholicism was another denomination. Honestly, I legit didn't. I really didn't. I just became a believer in Jesus. Okay, and that's yeah. I didn't even know what denomination I was when I first joined the church, and then and then my then my faith was radically shook because it didn't seem like the holy mysteries were there. You know what? what, You know what I mean? Like it it was like I don't know, just so shallow feeling. And I was begging God. I was like, dude, this can't be. This can't be it, right? Like, and so what I was going to say earlier is, it seems as if like the forty thousand denominations are almost 
a buffer zone for conspiracy theorists or new agers to get sucked into immediately after finding God, right? They get sucked into this buffer zone and they're in another layer of the onion without knowing it. Um, some people get stuck there. Some people become dissatisfied and, and leave and don't believe in God altogether all over again. So yeah, hopefully this will be helpful for those types of people that are still seeking and are becoming discontent with the politics in church and, you know, just <clears throat> everything like that. Yeah, no, totally. And like both you and I, like you, you kind of fell into the Baptist um, sort of arena, the more stringent. And then I mm-hmm. fell into the kind of charismatics without even realizing it. And then we both got burnt from the groups that our first like Christian family, like groups that we were part of. And that was just God like putting us on a path where I feel like we could kind of learn the stuff that we're going to share now quickly because it it is going to change your lives everyone if you don't already know this like basically simply we've got the 40,000 denominations you go back about 1400 400 years to the 1600s we've got Martin Luther the Protestant Reformation books were taken out um all the denominations resulted from this but then you go back about 500 years behind that in 1000 56 i think we had the great schism which was when the roman catholic church basically split 54 off. 54 but it's okay that's yeah, okay yeah and uh at least i'm pronouncing it right no <laughs> and uh then so we had that split but then prior to that we had just like the main four orthodox denominations greek russian east indian and roman but then before that we had jesus and we had um Pentecost the apostles and the apostles yeah. and they for 300 years they didn't have a bible so all these things are coming up like all, what is the truth? Jesus Christ. So let's go all the way back in history to that. Yeah, go to the source material. Was, yeah. yeah, and what was happening at that time. And so we're going to dive now into a thread that you wrote. This is a long thread. It's gonna, Nick's going to read a lot of it, and I'm going to ask questions as we go through, like we did with the other parts of the series. This is to help explain um, precisely what, what we're getting at. Yeah, we're going to go back to pre-denominational times, basically. Yeah, and isn't it interesting that the word denominations kind of sounds like it has the word demon in it? Like, what if that's a compartmentalization? <laughs> and you know, just all demon the nations. Yeah, demon yeah. nations, demon crats, demon nations. I mean, we, I, I mean, don't think demons I've are. Always, what? I don't think demons are these like egregore things necessarily. Like that society has made us think with kind of a hyper reality of it. I actually think it's more like uh, the. Com- these denominations and the compartmentalization of something to control and handle people. Cause I do think mind programming is the ultimate demon or daemon happening. Well, okay. So number one, the demon nation thing, um, I've had the same thought, um, not only because the word sounding like that, but just because the Bible literally says a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So it seems as if Satan has successfully done that. Right. Yep. Um, so you can't have 40,000 different versions of the truth and have everyone be correct, right? There can only be one interpretation of the truth that is true because we live in an objective universe where things are right and wrong. Like that's just how it is. Um, but yeah, when it comes to demons and stuff, um, being like the egregore things we were talking about, like, yeah, they can definitely manifest and appear as like scary creatures or whatever. But I truly think that's mostly a distraction for like, I don't want to sound pompous, but like, I guess beginners or people that are just getting into the spiritual realm. Um, I think demons, the most dangerous kind, the most subtle kind are the ones that disguise their voice to sound just like you and whisper temptations and passions and um, obsessions into your ear, things that make you full of anxiety, stuff like that. And so 
I believe that our natural state is communion with God or peace and contentment. And if we identify with these whispers in our ear, you know, we're, we leave that state, if that makes sense. And I think if we pray and fast and meditate on the word, those thoughts can't, um, you know, get inside of us and, and plant roots, I guess. Yeah, exa- no, exactly. I totally agree with you. Yeah, a lot of the stuff we were talking about, I feel like we became somewhat overzealous and fanatical because we just discovered it. We were so excited. And I think we may have shared some stuff too soon because like, you know, a lot of people got confused and like I understood it in my head. I just didn't understand how to explain it. Totally. And, well enough. And the last like month you've been on a pilgrimage basically like and you've visited some monasteries and I've gone to an Orthodox church and I actually, and you've, you've done that as well. Like we kind of feel like we needed to do this because you're going to find out that this is the direction that this takes you to. And if we hadn't like experienced that actually ourselves to get to talk about the church history and this last episode, I'm not quite sure it would have been as, as good or as, you know, genuine. Yeah. And I will admit that like before all this, before the, pseudo pilgrimage whatever you want to call it um i was not free and so you know i was asking god like if the truth sets you free why am i not free and i think this is you know this is at least what gave me peace more peace than i felt before um and yeah i don't feel like the same person anymore i feel like this is actually the full medicine and maybe not everyone needs this strong of medicine like if you are Protestant and you're listening and you're upset, like, I'm sorry. It's just, you know, if you come out of the occult or the new age, you're going to need something stronger, <laughs> right? You can't just walk into a place and sing songs and expect your soul to be radically transformed. But anyways, it's I like will an, begin. It's inertia, right? Like you go as deep as you go one way, you're going to bounce back the other way. And I, I never like continued stopping just, I mean, pro- I fell into Protestantism. That was, I think that's really natural. And I, I'm, I still, you know, attend, I, ha- well, I have a Bible church and I like learning about the Bible there, but no church is perfect. No person is perfect. But what does, does historically it take us to get closest to the truth, which is Jesus. And that honestly, like what he came and did when he came here and was sacrificed and then he ascended and and then sent the Holy Spirit down to them and sent the apostles off. Like that to me is kind of like patient zero or like ground zero from the start of the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just have to, like, exactly. if, you're, if you inertia big into the occult or you're a big truth seeker, you're extremist. Like Nick and I were both extremists. I think I can speak for you on that. It's part of why we're friends. I relate to you on that. You're going to bounce from one side. And when you go to the other side, which I guess like when you become a follower of Jesus, you go from the occult to Jesus, that direction, you change directions. You're going to go all the way. And this is all, this has taken us all the way. Yeah, exactly. It's the spiritual meat. If you're, if you're done with the spiritual milk, this is the spiritual meat you've probably been looking for. And I will just admit like, you know, yeah, like Kara said, no church is perfect. It's made up of sinners. It's a hospital for, you know, broken souls. So you're going to find problems in there. And like orthodoxy is not perfect either as we'll soon see. But I think the point is, is the, um, participating in the holy mysteries or communion or the eucharist is the real game changer yeah um so yeah i will 
just start, I guess. He's going to start with my most triggering topic, by the way, about losing oh, your yeah. salvation. <laughs> and I just want to say, Nick and I don't necessarily agree on everything in here. None of us do. But we're going to discuss all these different things. So go okay. ahead, talk about it. Okay. <laughs> real quick, real quick, I will say, I don't know if you can lose your salvation. I don't understand free will or pre or you know, determinism or any of that stuff. I don't think anyone really does. These are metaphysical topics and we have physical limited brains, but I do think that the difference between the saints and regular people is that the saints, the Orthodox saints took their salvation super seriously and feared losing it. Hence why they became so radically different from the world. And you could tell that they were not of this world. Right. And I think that's, what's the most important thing to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, like Paul said. Yeah. So, and, and then I'll just say, when it comes to losing your salvation, I always fall right back to the same thing. Is it, it's a question of not if you can lose your salvation for me, it's did you ever actually have it? Yeah, but we have free will. But anyways, okay. Right, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> it's up, up to us Kara, to reject the message. It's up to us to reject the message or... There, w- there would be no point in following Jesus if you didn't have to take the steps, right? It's free will. But anyways, okay. Calvinists claim the elect cannot lose their salvation. However, the Bible warns us over and over again about Christians falling away from the true faith into apostasy during the end times. The Bible even says the Antichrist will deceive the elect if possible. So is it possible? If not, why even warn us? It seems this falling away into apostasy is already happening. And it seems to have started with the Great Schism in 1054 AD. Up until that point in history, there was essentially one church and one denomination founded by the apostles or orthodoxy. In 1054 AD, orthodoxy split in two and Catholicism was created. Then in the 1500s, this is a very crude timeline, by the way. There's a lot that goes into why these. Yeah, no, no, it's good. Keep going. Okay. Then in the 1500s, Martin Luther, who was justifiably angry with the corrupt papacy, sparked the Protestant Reformation. And Catholicism shattered into thousands of pieces, creating thousands of reformed denominations that would split from Lutheranism later on. However, these denominations have become so far removed from the apostles' original doctrines and traditions, they no longer resemble anything close to true Christianity. They look worldly, especially in megachurches, and hold strange new beliefs like Calvinism. Funny enough, St. Anthony the Great said, when men surrender to the spirit of the age and the church becomes one with the world, we will know the end is near. According to the 19th century Russian writer and saint, Ignatius Brian Kevin, (laughs) something St. Ignatius, according to this guy, the Antichrist will call himself a preacher and restorer of true knowledge of God. Ironically, the Protestant Reformation was an attempt to restore the church. However, it only created a much bigger and more confusing mess. Just let me know if there's ever a point you want me to stop and give comments. Yeah, no, I mean, just right there, like talking about Protestant Reformation, right there, it only created a much bigger problem. It was supposed to restore the church, but it created a much bigger problem. Like, it's just, it's actually, it's crazy. Like, Martin Luther, his, you know, he wasn't trying to do that. He was trying to bring it just more clarity, right? But it ended up creating this uh, platform that we have today, which is, like you said, a confusing mess. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff about Martin Luther, like, I don't think he intended to make a mess, but also I think he was a little pompous. And there's also things, I mean, I'm pompous, so whatever, he's a sinner like me. But there was also things I've read about how he didn't even really believe a lot of the scriptures. And that's what made him want to take a bunch of these books out and stuff. And he would have taken out more 
had people not push back on it. But anyways, I'll just keep going. Do you going. know what books what? that he took out? Well, I mean, he took out the entire um, Apocrypha. But then there was books in the New Testament he wanted to get rid of as well. Oh, wow. And, and yeah. have you read the books that he's taken out? Have you? Because I know right away, uh, one was Wisdom, the Book of Wisdom, right? And you read that like right yeah. away. Oh, yeah. I read Solomon's Book of Wisdom, which was amazing. And then Sirach or Sirach or something. Um, that's another like wisdom book. It um, It's like super, super long. So I never finished it, but I got like maybe halfway through. And then I read Bell and the Dragon, which is a tale about the prophet Daniel defeating a dragon and also like um, proving to one of the rulers of Babylon. I forget which one, but he proved to him that the idols were dead, right? Because so basically these people were giving food to these idols and in the middle of the night, the food would disappear. So everyone thought the idol was alive and eating the food. Daniel's like, I'll prove to you that this idol is not living. And if I'm wrong, you can kill me basically. And so the king is like, okay, bet. And Daniel's like, the only thing I ask is um, you give me some ashes. So Daniel goes and scatters ashes in the temple where this idol is. And people put food there and in the middle of the night, it disappears. And so Daniel's about to be murdered, but then he's like, no, 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 go and look around the temple and around the idol itself. And in the ashes, they see a bunch of footprints and they discover that the priests of the temple were sneaking in there in the middle of the night and eating the food themselves. And so the king murders the false prophets or priests instead. Oh, wow. That was one of the which stories is, which, removed? Yeah. Wow. What? Which is, so, ki- which is cool, though, right? Because we were talking about how a lot of these, um, like the demons and the egregores or whatever, are like, it's like hyper-reality, right? That's exactly what that book's about. Wow. Oh, okay, and it's Daniel, the prophet Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just don't understand. Yeah. Like, why Why did Martin want to take these books out? Like, what was his reasoning? Like, it, it makes me think, like, of self-revelation and how we're not supposed to, like, go around and, like, self-revelation is probably what Joseph Smith did that created Mormonism or, like, Muhammad and when he meditated in a cave and it, and the Quran came out. Like, how come people accepted Martin Luther's self-revelation? And speaking of revelation, well, because, hold on, uh, because revelation's final okay. message was do not add or remove anything from this book. Like, but yeah, Martin Luther yeah. went, oh, wow, like, that's pretty, bu- well, sorry, but going up against God like that, I don't know. Yeah, but, okay, we have to keep in mind that when Revelation was written, there was not a Bible. Um, oh, I think it was wow. like, wow, yeah, good point. So I don't think that that verse is about the entire canon, but just about the book of Revelation. I don't know. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, it is interesting that there was no Bible during the first days of Christianity, right? Because, you know, this gets into the soul of scripture stuff that Martin Luther promoted where scripture interprets scripture. Yet in second Peter, we're told that the church interprets scripture together as a body, as a team, right? Because we're all fallible. Mm-hmm. But when we are in the body of Christ, we do a better job. Apparently. I mean, that's just the way God designed us. The church is there for our salvation. And yeah, so the Bible didn't just fall out of the sky, right? People are like, I'm saved by my Bible. I just read my Bible. But the Bible, you know, God didn't hand it to us on a platter. It was collected and organized 300 years after Christians were mercilessly persecuted by the Orthodox saints. 
Yeah. And I just learned about Sola Scripture through this whole series and talking with you. Sola Scriptura is the concept where the Bible is the final authority. And that's just the 66 books, um, you know, with the ones Martin Luther removed. I'm still not clear on why he removed these books and why everybody's just okay with it. Honestly, it seems well, like I don't some think you want spell. people to believe in. I feel yeah. like a I mean, spell that like we were saying even like as when we were in the Protestant belief that this was it or I was saying Bible's final authority. It almost felt like a spell because what about the Holy Spirit? Like I was saved, I believe by the Holy Spirit. I I mean, for real, I wasn't reading the Bible. I had never read the Bible. I'd never like really gone to church. I was not seeking it out. The Holy Spirit, this um, invisible, like eternal, you know, energy from God that is God came to me. It's like, wouldn't that, be, that's with me when I read the Bible. Even in John, he tells us we don't need a teacher. You have God is with you. The Holy Spirit's with you when you read the Bible. So it seemed, it just like clicked that, wait, no, there the Bible, this book is not the final authority. God wrote the book. God's the final authority. So I learned about Sola Scriptura and that just, it seriously like just made me think like, okay, um, what about the before the Bible was put together? Well, he had that 300 years you're talking about of the oral tradition. And then mm. how could the Bible, something that's been created, be the final authority over what created it, which is this oral tradition being passed around? You get what I'm saying? Like It's like how people say God is yeah. the universe, but God can't be the universe if he created it. Well, the Bible, right. how can it be this final authority when this oral tradition and the apostles who got divine inspiration from God had that first wouldn't that be final authority yeah no you're exactly right like if the universe cannot contain god because god created the universe then if god created the bible he cannot be contained to just the bible um yeah it was inspired by holy spirit filled men and holy spirit men were guided to you know bring it together into the canon um but yeah it cannot be the final authority um the churches like god's church and well, ultimately, it's Christ. But yeah, when you only rely on, you know, 40,000 different interpretations or your own personal interpretation of a book, it can lead to culty thinking. And, you know, people just stop using their brains. They won't entertain any other ideas. And you need to have cultural context. You need to understand what's going on in the world to have these things make sense. So, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, so I think Martin Luther wanted to get rid of some of the mystical stuff. Like, I don't think he wanted people to believe in dragons maybe or something because, you know, ironically, the same time as the Protestant Reformation was like the scientific revolution Mm -hmm. and basically erasing our whole mystical past, right? Like now we live in this nihilistic so-called modern age where even Christians behave like atheists and don't believe in miracles. So I think that the rewriting of the Bible had a lot to do with, um, you know, kind of amputating God's supernatural aspects, making him more dry. And, you know, I can't not think about in the 1600s a lot of stuff that happened. Like we had in the 1500s, the Royal Academy was basically kind of created and put together with the Jesuits when they started legit infiltrating um, the education system and pushing. I think that's when the heliocentric model also kind of got pushed and put into um, the school teaching. But then in the 1600s, we also had the KJVB Bible, um, the King James come out, which is a translation yep. that 
literally added some stuff like in Mark um, yeah. that the charismatics use about um, drinking poisons and it added Lucifer it added yes, um, yes it added Lucifer it, and Lilith yes and uh, the whole King James Bible adding Lucifer was eye-opening to me too to getting closer to what we're getting at here which is like closer to the truth of Jesus and like questioning this Protestant teachings because at first as a new Christian I would ask people is are Satan and Lucifer the same thing? Like, is that just like saying the devil? Is it all the same? And people wouldn't know. Like nobody, all these like lifelong Christians that were like teaching Bible studies and acting like they knew everything couldn't answer the question for me. And it seemed pretty vague. So I just started praying about it. Then I came to realize mm-hmm. this concept of egregores, which is when you take, you create like, um, and you use like an occult, like you create like a physical kind of manifestation, not physical, but like a manifestation or you give life to these kind of like spirits or concepts, which Lucifer is one of these because it, people, it deals with the fake end times. Yeah. And, but, but like, but basically like Lucifer, sorry, I'm having a problem saying this, but like what I'm trying to say is I believe that Lucifer was placed in the 1600s in the KJB Bible in one time in Isaiah where people are going to confuse it as Satan, used synonymously, but at the same time, Milton's Paradise Lost writes this poem, which is just glorifying this concept of Lucifer, which is kind of like Pope Gregory creating the egregore of the devil, the way that we see the red horned devil. We talked about mm-hmm, that already mm-hmm. in the series. So this concept, is, this creation of Lucifer, the light bearer, gets planted in the 1600s, conveniently right about the Protestant Reformation when Luther does his stuff. And then we have in like the 1800s, Alice Bailey, Alistair Crawley, yep. and uh, Helena Bavatsky and their new age movement, which is another straight up psyop and like taking of the occult. And they worship the Thelemites worship Lucifer, the light bearer. I mean, Alice Bailey's press was even Lucifer press. And now we are yeah. here today. And what the spell that they've been creating for four or 500 years, everybody's like getting enlightened, this enlightenment movement from Lucifer, whether or not they realize it an egregore that was created. That's part of this whole thing. Yeah, the Great Awakening, the religious revival that's happening right now. Yeah, it's all based off that. And the Great Falling Away, that started with um, the splintering of the church. Um, But however, I do want to say I use the word or term Lucifer just to simplify this thread. (laughs) But (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, okay, go back to the thread. We're at according to the 20th century. Yeah, according to the 20th century American writer and soon-to-be saint, Father Seraphim Rose, the Antichrist rule will be such formal correctness, but without the heart of orthodoxy, which is love, compassion, self-distrust, humility, and Christ himself. He also said the Antichrist is not to be found in the great deniers, but in the small affirmers, whose Christ is only on the lips. So the Antichrist won't look like the devil. He will look like a Christian. However, he won't truly act like one. St. John the Wonder Worker said he will be clever, charming, and charitable. But instead of being humble like Christ, the Antichrist will be self-righteous and religious like so many of the Protestant pastors we see today, at least in my experience. Sorry, guys. In fact, many Protestant pastors are encouraging Christians to fight woke politics and go to war with demons, especially the Protestant charismatics who even promote performing miracles. But the Bible tells us to be quiet and meek and turn the other cheek. Demons are defeated through prayer and fasting. We flee from the devil. We do not run toward him head on. Again, the most important, most dangerous demons are not these straight up apparitions of scary creatures. It's, the ones that tempt us to sin and we should worry about our own salvation before we worry about going to war with the devil. So anyways. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Well, can, I, I, you just said, um, especially in the 
Protestant charismatics who are going at war with demons. Their obsession is demons. And we also see this with a lot of conspiracy Christians. I became this, where you become obsessed with demons. You're binding Mm -hmm. them up. You're loosing, you're casting them out. You're demanding Jesus to do this crazy stuff, which the charismatics, I think it didn't start like the 1960s. It's so crazy. And then we have in Jude, Jude 1, 9, when Archangel Michael's fighting, like arguing with the devil, says, but even Archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So even Archangel Michael isn't going to go fight the devil. He's sure not going to go fight demons either. He's going to leave that to God. But then we have this whole charismatic movement that's like doing these like circus shows where they're charging people money to like get people to rise provoking, on the floor. Provoking and, like, Leviathan. Yeah, literally they're, they're bringing it here. And we've talked a lot about that already. Yeah. And <laughs> God straight up told Job not to mess with Leviathan yet. That's all the charismatics are doing. And I think it's bringing him into this world. But anyways, um, we do not run towards the devil head on. We flee from him. We do not physically fight for this world, you know, with the whole political movement, the religious revival. We spiritually struggle for the next one. We do not seek out miracles. They are gifted to us through asceticism and follow us when we are led by the Holy Spirit and not our own will. And I don't know. I assume everyone is pretty smart that's listening, but asceticism is just radical self-denial, fasting, praying, giving away all of your stuff, which we can talk about more about that later. It's kind of becoming impossible in this evil age which even the saints of the past said that our trials will be more psychological in the end times rather than physical like theirs were nevertheless um you just added that nevertheless it yeah, says in yeah. fact yeah, in, in, <laughs> Nick, nevertheless hinton <laughs> i know i got i it's my favorite word i need to stop christian karen and nick nevertheless hinton <laughs> Okay. In fact, in fact, Father Seraphim Rose warned us about the dangers of the charismatic movement whose adherents suffer from prelist or spiritual delusion, which is a state of vainglory or false holiness that deceptive forces reinforce in us by creating lying signs and wonders in response to our prideful efforts. This seems to align with what Ignatius wrote when he said the Antichrist will also offer a worldly Christianity absent of asceticism and re- and reveal before mankind the shameful display of striking miracles which satisfy vanity, human pride, and carnal superstition while confusing human learning. He went on to say, all men who are guided by the light of their fallen nature and who are formed to the guidance by the light of God will be attracted to obey the deceiver. The Bible tells us to look out for false prophets, evil shepherds, lying, or the Bible tells us to look out for false apostles, evil shepherds, lying prophets, and wolves in sheep's clothing, way more than it warns us about the blatantly demonic things of this world. It seems the idea of the devil is actually being used as a scapegoat to distract Christians from the real enemy hidden within the church. The Antichrist will appear like a savior and he will seem to save the church from the devil. So this is what all of our fake apocalypse stuff was about. Yep. Like the Antichrist that's rising up now, the AI, transhumanist, maybe Trump, Elon and Putin, whatever. It's going to be very obvious and no one's going to be deceived and people are going to fight him. Um So the Antichrist might even save us from our theological differences by bringing the different denominations back together. Maybe all the church needs is a common threat to rally around, like the devilish deep state, New World Order, or Illuminati. While the idea of bringing the different denominations back together to fight a universally evil entity might sound like a good thing, it would actually be bad because the apostles' original doctrines and traditions would become diluted at best or totally lost at worst. It would basically create a syncretic religion or perennial philosophy that is Christian only in appearance. 
However, its deception would work because the Antichrist global belief system wouldn't be overtly New Age or occult like Hollywood movies have brainwashed to expect. Another thing we've talked about. Perhaps this religion will look more like Rome's pagan Christianity. It seems we can already see or it seems we can already see something like this forming. Okay, I want to stop you real quick. I love the first two lines of this paragraph. The Bible tells us to look out for false apostles, evil shepherds, lying prophets, and wolves in sheep's clothing way more than it warns us about the blatantly demonic things of this world. It seems the idea of the devil is actually being used as a scapegoat to distract Christians from their real enemy hidden within the church. Bam, right there. That's so <laughs> No, it's so true because I'm, you're reading that and I'm thinking, and this is why it's important that we do study the Bible on our own so that we understand it so that when something is presented to you, you can kind of fact check that on what you've read firsthand with the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And it's true. Where's the Bible? Where's the Bible like ever warning us? Oh, be able to decode these blatantly satanic satanic things. You're going to see Sam Smith dressed up like uh, the devil at the Grammys. (laughs) This is going to be it, guys. Like, look, it doesn't at all. It doesn't. This stuff is actually, this stuff should be expected. Like none of this is new. This is, for the majority of history, it's normal that society societies were pagan and promoted pagan things. So none of this is like, I don't know, weird or strange. It's completely normal for the world to be fallen, right? Yeah. And you say further down, Antichrist's global belief system wouldn't be overtly new age or a call like Hollywood movies have brainwashed us to expect. That was a big thing that I've discovered the last like two years kind of like pulling out. It's like this conspiracy is planted. This is on purpose. Why? Like I was so prideful when I'm at first when I'm like decoding like the Hollywood symbolism. I'm like, look at, look, it's it's so obvious. Yeah. It's so obvious because they're like you said, they're monarch programming us. Monarch programming is not Beyonce sitting in a chair getting electrocuted so she can become some kind of cog on stage for everybody to follow. Monarch programming is us seeing the symbolism all the time, us seeing Hollywood doing all this stuff and obsessing about it. And then the same way you can focus on the Bible and focus on the good stuff that God wants us to know for our salvation, you're focusing on that instead. And then that becomes your reality and that becomes the programming in your mind. And that to me is the true demonic strongholds. Yeah. Yeah. It's propaganda to make us believe in false religion or um, yeah, some type of mystery religion, you know, because people believe the truth is embedded in the movies, but really it's just, like I said, propaganda because people, People think these things are telling the future, but it's telling the future they want you to believe. Um, We're not discovering anything. Yeah, it's all there on purpose. They're not stupid people. And something that blows my mind that I recently discovered, you know, maybe a few months ago was how many evangelicals uh, in the past have preached about the New World Order or the Illuminati. I think Billy Graham was one of them. Um. He also said aliens might be angels, whatever. That's a different topic that we'll get to. But yeah, the idea of the Illuminati, the satanic elite, whatever, its origins can be found in um, like evangelical Christianity. And not only that, but the Jesuits. Um, a lot of the books come from Jesuit writers. Okay. I fell for one of these pastors that you're talking about. It was the first pastor I started listening to who was recommended to me 
um, Pastor Dean Odell, and I started watching this guy on my computer, his sermons, because I didn't know any better. I didn't, I wasn't going to church. I didn't know anything. And he would talk about the New World Order. He would talk about the satanic elite. He talked about MK Ultra. He hit all the talking points on the main conspiracies, and I was like, this pastor knows it. This is it. And then one day, Jody was walking by my fiance, and he was like, that guy is misleading you, Kara. That's another, like, fault. That guy's he's a liar like this is conspiracy he even saw it like he heard it and i was so upset wow. at the time because i was like no he just doesn't get it but it was yeah. so true what no pastor should be talking about conspiracy the new world order mind programming and once you get to the point where we've gotten to like and hopefully everybody following this is too when you know that like mk ultra and flat earth like this this dean odell guy also did like a flat earth debate against that graham guy you just said well i don't think billy graham was in the flat earth debate Greg Locke, that's who we debated. So yeah, not only does, you know, listening to conspiracy pastors make you like intellectually prideful and isolate yourself from the world thinking like, you know, you're so smart that you can't relate to anybody anymore. But like we've been saying throughout the series, it also is just prepping people for, you know, the fake antichrist, the new world order, the devilish deep state, everything like that. Um, and I actually, you know, wrote something that I wanted to add in because, you know, just to remind people of the futurist, false interpretations, the fake apocalypse, all that. So only those with eyes to see will understand the end times prophecies. So if all these false prophets are talking about, you know, the new world order, Illuminati and stuff like that, it can't possibly be, you know, a real legitimate prediction. Um, so I'm weary of anyone promoting false futurist interpretations of the apocalypse. Like I said, we've tried explaining this before, but to summarize, basically during the Protestant Reformation, when Christians were calling the papacy the Antichrist, the Jesuits drafted entirely new doctrines surrounding Revelation, the Book of Daniel, and the Olivet Discourse, which are now taught in every single Protestant church. Like we said, it is no secret the Jesuits have infiltrated the seminary schools. At the time of the Protestant Reformation, most Christians were historicists and believed the end times were already happening right in front of their eyes. So the Jesuits, looking to point the blame on a scapegoat, created futurism and said the Antichrist will be a singular figure who appears in the future to build a third temple, create a one-world government, introduce a transhumanist mark of the beast, initiate a great tribulation, etc. But these ideas are not actually found in the Bible. There's no mention of a third temple or one-world government when the tribulation already began under Nero, at least according to the historicists. Like we've said in the past, a lot of these ideas are also promoted by Hollywood. Um, anyways, the mark was truly allegiance to the Pope. It wasn't physical, but spiritual. Today, our birth certificates are owned by the Vatican, and we are still in Rome. All these futurist so-called prophecies were created by combining verses from Daniel, Matthew, and Revelation, which is not something we've ever done before with other books of the Bible. However, these prophecies, so-called prophecies, will happen but only as a part of a scripted and staged knockoff version of the true apocalypse that will be used to lead end times Christians astray and confuse them about their true place in the end times timeline. Again, this will be used to deceive the Christians of the end times into accepting the great apostasy or the worldly church we've been describing. When Christ doesn't return as, as expected after the rise and fall of the fake antichrist, people will lose faith and accept a new savior, which is the true spirit of the antichrist that we are trying to expose. Wow. Uh, that is all very, very profound and I think explains things really clearly, especially like 
So the false prophets can't possibly know anything about the real end, nullifying their New World Order predictions. Like, only those that have eyes to see can understand the end times prophecies. And then these pastors that are literally talking about them happening right now, they don't have eyes to see because they exactly. haven't realized that, that, there's, that they, were in, they were taught and infiltrated theology in seminary school, which is exactly what Rockefeller did to medicine and the medical yeah. fields and creating the cancer uh, stuff. But this, so this is no different than what the Jesuits did to the seminary schools. And it's infuriating when you really realize it. If they're not a part of the one true church, I can't expect them to, yeah, have the one true truth about the apocalypse. Um, God wouldn't gift it to them. And I don't mean that to be snarky, but um, it's okay to talk about these things again, but like, you can't just end there because that's not the end. This is a Jesuit deception. Like we've been saying, all these conspiracies started with the Jesuits, the Discordians, um, evangelicals, etc. And this helps explain why we see so many of these prophetic pastors out there, like saying that certain things are going to happen and they know like, oh, like that Dean Odell guy that's such a wolf in sheep's clothing. He had some prophecy that Trump was going to be reelected in 2020. And it's like, then that prophecy doesn't happen. It's like, why are you even prophesizing about stupid things like politics? It's like mm -hmm. that. And, and you see this stuff all the time, like going on. And it's like, none of them, they're all false prophets. Like anybody who's, talking about end times right now and, and they don't understand futurism. They don't understand theology schools were, were infiltrated. It's like, don't listen to them. They don't have eyes to see yet. Yeah. No one knows how to end. I mean, we, we don't even know how to end, but like, that's why this stuff is so obviously fake to me because everyone's claiming to know and everyone's saying the sky is falling, but we know that in the, <laughs> but we know, but we know that in the end people will be talking about peace and security. And obviously that isn't happening right now. Yeah. Jesus will return like a thief in the night suddenly like the flood right yeah this is this is not this is not sudden this is all very blatant in front of our face exactly it's like it's like rolling out you know like you take a carpet and you just roll it out like on purpose and it just kind of boom puts out they're rolling yeah it out. it's being served to us on a silver platter yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um and then this other thing you said here today our birth certificates are owned by the vatican we are still in rome I didn't realize our birth certificates were still owned by the Vatican. I definitely like am onto the whole social security number, birth certificate, us being like a product or like an ownership, like Dead Souls, the Dostoevsky book. But can you tell me more about this birth certificate? I mean, I mean, I mean, it's a bit uh, conspiratorial. I don't know for a fact, but yeah, that's what some people say is that our straw man, our tax man, our our corporate identity is owned by the Vatican. So yeah, that would be like the spiritual. Like our souls, in a way, are tied to the Pope. We can't, um, you know, participate in commerce or buy and sell without our social security number. Beast system. That, that's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are in the beast system. We are in Rome. We already are in Babylon. Like it's not coming. It's here. the The New World Order is a huge distraction from that. Totally. Um, that's that's the funny they, thing about the New World Order is it's already yeah. here. It's not coming. Yeah. They don't need more power. They already have it. What they really care about is leading souls astray. So this deception is serving that purpose. And then one last thing is this. Nevertheless, these prophecies, in quotes, will happen, but only as part of a scripted and staged knockoff version of the true apocalypse that will be used to lead end times Christians astray and confuse them about their true place in the end times timeline. Dang. 
Like, I, it's yeah, yeah. so profound. I mean, it's like really uh, talk about confusing people and like fracturing reality. That's the ultimate way to do it to a believer whose intentions are good. And, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And that's why we shouldn't lean on our own understanding. But I like that a scripted knockoff version of the true apocalypse. Yeah, well, I give all credit to David Nakaya Wilcoxon and Blease No Psyop for showing me that. Uh, yeah, that 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 profound truth, I guess. That's the reason we're supposed to come together with other believers mm-hmm. and talk. We had, mm-hmm. We've talked about that in this chat. Like it's important for us to have each other. So iron sharpens iron. Exactly, and um, you know, just full disclosure, I unfortunately have encountered many even the Orthodox priests that are talking about transhumanist antichrist and mark of the beast as if it were, you know, a chip that goes in our brains or our hand. I mean, that's one version, but it's not, you know, it's, it's a distraction. And yeah, so there's even people in Orthodox church talking about these things. The, the deception is so thick and yeah, the Jesuit interpretations have infiltrated even, you know, the true church. So it's crazy. It's, it's crazy how it's going to deceive even the elect, just like yeah. the Bible says. But what you were you'd mentioned like that when you first come to Christ, you get like the bright light and then it kind of dims a little and then you have to like find God in that place. And then you get to a point where you got to find God in the dark and like see him in the dark yeah. and be with him in the dark. You just said the deception's so thick. That's why we have to learn to see without our eyes. That's why faith yeah. is like moving a mountain with a mustard seed and it's eternal. It's unseen. And that's God. So that's pretty cool. That's how All we right, get let's, through this. Yeah. Let's move All right. on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but I am just going to keep going. So we can see we can see the churches kind of rallying around um the New World Order and stuff like that right now because <clears throat> not only has Pope Francis endorsed the Charismatics, but he also met with Patriarch Kirill of Moscow in 2016 which was the first time the Catholic Church and Orthodox Church formally communicated since the Great Schism in 1054 AD. There are many conspiracy theories surrounding their meeting. Some say they actually met to discuss an ancient apocalyptic weapon called the Ark of Gabriel, which was moved to the middle, which was moved from the Middle East to an Orthodox Church in Antarctica for safekeeping after being unearthed at Mecca on September 11, 2015. Now, I just full disclosure, you know, we were just talking crap about conspiracies. I don't know if I believe this one, but like I said, these conspiracies will be used for this weird fake end times narrative. So yeah, it's like a care. It's like a character in the play that you need to know. Yeah. So supposedly, and like, there's nothing wrong with, um, talking about the conspiracies, but if your pastor is like stopping there at the new world order, yeah, then yeah, that's a false prophet because like we're saying, we need to be aware of the other layer of inception. So if we need to explain the new world order to someone like that's okay, but make sure you're not just, ending there i guess yeah Um, my church that i've been going to the last year has my pastors never brought up conspiracy and i love that and i would i would mm -hmm. not want that i don't want that mixed in with my bible supposedly muhammad buried the ark of gabriel um at mecca centuries ago when an angel instructed him to according to conspiracy theorists removing the object from the ground released a plasma emission that knocked over a crane which killed around 100 people and injured hundreds more Official sources claim lightning from a sandstorm caused the disaster while workers excavated Mecca for renovations. However, it seems the pseudo-religious relic continued to unleash chaos even after this. Only 12 days after the Crane incident, a sudden and still unexplained stampede killed over 2,000 Muslims at Mecca 
the deadliest disaster in the holy site's history. Then in December, Russian naval warships were seen docked near Mecca. So, yeah, whether or not that's nonsense, it's just interesting, the real-life events that did happen and the fact that it preceded the Pope and the head of the Orthodox Church in Russia coming together. Yeah. Um, like I said, this could be the beginning of rallying around um, an Antichrist type figure and preparing for a spiritual war. The Antichrist deception, deception, part two yeah, 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 of the yeah. series. <laughs> Nevertheless, Patriarch Kirill of Moscow and Pope Francis said they met with the intention of eventually establishing Christian unity between the different denominations. Perhaps the discovery of the Ark of Gabriel has something to do with this, or maybe it's all nonsense. But either way, why would a true Orthodox Christian want to work with Pope Francis? Pope Francis is a Jesuit, and even some Protestants are aware of the Jesuit problem. The Seventh-day Adventist and theologian Benjamin George Wilkinson said, When it seemed as if the Church of Rome were mined and crushed by the Reformation, the Order of the Jesuits was formed, the most powerful and cruel of all the orders within the papacy. It undertook, first of all, to capture colleges and universities, then to climb to power in the state. It succeeded in dominating certain nations and in persecuting with unspeakable cruelty that Protestantism which it was invented to destroy. So even prominent Protestant thinkers have admitted Protestant churches have been infiltrated. The Protestants aren't completely at fault here, though. Most are good-hearted people who desire Christ, but were led astray by other lost sheep they call pastors. Most Protestant pastors are good-hearted too, but they were deceived into thinking they could simply go to seminary school to become a priest, rather than by receiving the blessing of a disciple of a disciple dating back to Christ, an orthodox tradition known as apostolic succession. And if the doctrines taught by seminary schools have been influenced by the Jesuits, the credentials of a Protestant priest are even less credible. Orthodoxy is by no means perfect either, though. The church is made up of sinners after all. Father Sam from Rose said in the future the devil will bait true orthodox christians into fighting with one another uh, into fighting with one another over issues both small and large on a small scale we can see this happening between believers online arguing about masks and vaccines but on a large scale we can see this happening between the orthodox church leaders in constantinople and moscow who have recently cut ties <clears throat> causing another great schism and creating strife between faithful greeks and russians one of the reasons for this is the fact that patriarch Kirill of moscow supports putin's invasion of ukraine while others obviously do not. However, worldly politics should not be a part of an otherworldly church. Father Seraphim Rose said it is best to stay out of this kind of drama and simply receive the Eucharist with our local communities. Nevertheless, Russia's holy war against Ukraine is just as sinful and staged as the one in the Middle East. God does not bless murder, even if it's the result of bombing a CIA-controlled puppet state. Clearly, both sides are in the wrong. So it should come as no surprise then that the patri that Patriarch Colonel of Moscow, Putin's holy man, is a former KGB agent. Funny enough, Elder Antony of Chernov said the Antichrist will start with Russia because only she can make a stand against him, as her people have deep Orthodox Christian roots. If the Antichrist conquers Russia, the rest of the world will bow, will bow to him easily, being spiritually ready for accepting his authority. Many Orthodox Christians agree this process seemingly began with the spread of communism, which resulted in the violent death and destruction of innumerable Orthodox Christians in monasteries. Do you want me to yeah, stop there for yeah, a second? Let's stop for a second. Um, first, I just want to say, in case anybody didn't catch this, um, sometimes I feel like I'm like that kid in the classroom that has like, wait, what's going on? Like, I didn't realize Ark of Gabriel was the Ark of the Covenant. I just looked that up. I was like, and when you were talking it's about it. It's not. It's not. Really? How? That's yeah, what's no, coming no, up. That's what's coming up when I searched for it. The Ark of Gabriel. What is the Ark of Gabriel? Ark of Gabriel is like 
according to conspiracy theorists, isn't it like an apocalyptic weapon that God gave to Muhammad? It's not Christian idea. It's not oh, in the Bible. It's I had not, no idea. It's not in the Bible. It's not talked about by the church fathers or anybody, but it could be a fake thing that will an be used. An apocalyptic weapon, as if like God can't just do what he needs to. He's got to give us a weapon that we'll use when he tells us to. <laughs> yeah. So, so like according to, according to the legend or the myth or whatever, it'll be used on resurrection day for some reason i have no idea but but um yeah so and apparently apparently it's like a box too which i find yeah funny. no when i it ark of gabriel it looks like the ark of the covenant i mean it looks like the the it's like a golden box it looks like a replica of it Except yeah it's the, like wings the, on the it ark of the the ark of the covenant contains like the slabs of moses and some other stuff maybe the rod of aaron but the ark of gabriel <clears throat> is a islamic thing um okay that it's like a weapon so okay glad that's clarified and the other thing i just want to really make sure was said and clarified is like orthodoxy is the closest um denomination i guess to jesus christ coming on pentecost and the holy spirit coming down and going on to the apostles correct yeah Okay. Didn't we, I, I know did we talk about that? Well, I know that's common, but I'm just saying that as like the kid, how I can be like the kid in the classroom with my hand up. I just for anybody who didn't quite, quite like totally catch that. Um, and so all the denominations came out after orthodoxy. Right. But what I'm trying to point out is that even orthodoxy has been somewhat infiltrated um, with the with the highest leaders who are you know now communicating with the Pope and talking about. Um, Ecunemis. Anyways, there's this fancy word for like, it's like something ecunemical, ecunemicism. I don't, I don't know. Just look it up on Google or something. But basically it's a fancy word that means like bringing the denominations back together. And some of the Orthodox church leaders are in this camp and other Orthodox laymen are in the camp of this is dangerous. Right. And I'm in that camp, unfortunately, because I don't want to upset Orthodox people either who think that we should be obedient to our bishops and, and stuff like that. But um, if we ever do a podcast on the lives of the saints, um, you know, there's plenty of saints who are exiled and fought against the leaders of their time as well. And if they hadn't, then the church would be spiritually dead and apostate today. So yeah, I, I definitely want to talk about the saints. Maybe after once we finish this thread and if it ends up being another podcast, we can do that um, for sure. I wanted okay. to, but before you move forward, I have one more thing I wanted to talk about. This apostolic succession is really amazing, which you just talked about. And it's rather than receiving a blessing. Okay. So it's like Protestant preacher pastors, they go to theology school. And even my pastor at my Bible church just said recently that 95, he says he was like 95% of what they're taught in these theology schools is incorrect. And that's when I, about the time that I was learning about how, what you were saying with the Jesuits, they infiltrated the seminary schools and that's yeah. where future we've talked about how that's when futurism was taught. That's the type of, of teachings and ideology that those seminary schools have. So you can either become a preacher by going to these seminary schools cause you choose it or the Orthodox tradition, which is known as apostolic succession is when you get the blessing of a disciple of a disciple dating back to Christ. So that's like Christ gives these blessings to, to, to the apostles, probably then to the disciples. And it's, that's literally like a blessing that's directly back to Jesus rather than yeah. just choosing to become a pastor, go to a theology school that's been infiltrated by the Jesuits. Yep. 
It's pretty insane. Yeah. It and is. Orthodox still have seminary schools, but yeah, you need to receive a blessing in order to do anything. Like you, if you want to start a church, you have to receive a blessing. Um, yeah. If you want to become a priest, etc. So obviously these people, their judgment can still be faulty though, because there have been bad priests, even in the Orthodox church. So I don't want to like sit here and be railing on every other denomination except my own. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, none of them are perfect. No person's perfect. Mm -hmm. No church is perfect. It's just orthodoxy is the closest to the first. Yeah, Um, the practices are the most important. Yeah, exactly. And and even just the fact that the, the church at the Orthodox is set up like the the tabernacle. Like I want to talk about that in a little bit, a little more, but that fascinated me. It's like, wow, that, that goes right back to the start. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the, the divine liturgy, which is, I guess what a Protestant would call like a sermon, the divine liturgy, like some of them were written by James, like uh Jesus' brother. Some were written by John Chrysostom, who was a saint. Like the, like the, what is read and saying in church is the Psalms, and other things that are just very, very ancient. And like the, like you said, the setup of the church is intentional. It's not just a stage with a microphone. It's literally supposed to be shaped like a cross where on the arms of the cross, that's where the singers stand. At the top of the cross, there's a iconoclastius or something. I'm butchering all these words because I'm still new to this, but it's like a, it's a veil and it's a picture of all these saints. And behind that, is where the altar of God is, which these altars are even um, blessed and dedicated to certain saints. Like there's so much intentionality that goes behind these things. And it was all handed down to us from the apostles. So there's real like mystical soul food there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can feel God's presence invoked there. Yeah, no, Um, totally. And you can feel it in the regular church. I mean, he's everywhere. Yeah. Um, But like, Especially there, I leave, even if I don't understand everything that's being read or said to me, I leave feeling recharged. And I think the point is, um, like, if you decide to go to an Orthodox church and you're like, this is weird, the point is, is that it is weird. And you're supposed to wrestle with your thoughts and your flesh the, the time that you're there and revere God, you know, you know, try and keep your thoughts focused on God. Because like I said, the most dangerous demons are the subtle ones that whisper distracting things in your head. The demons cannot harm you. If you're constantly focused on God, because it's like Peter walking on the water. The moment he turned his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink. And that is true of our everyday lives. And we are essentially metaphorically lost at sea every day. But I'm going to keep going. We were talking about... Um, Father Seraphim Rose and well, well, yeah, we were, But yeah, we were talking about how the communist revolution basically was another one. Of, like, Not only did the Protestant Reformation um dilute christianity but so did the communist revolution it got rid of a lot of monastics and monasteries and bishops and priests and just regular orthodox christians like hundreds of thousands of people were were killed and so yeah there was a lot of history erased back then um so yeah the anti so one of these saints said that the antichrist would start with russia and it seems that that is true so father seraphim rose said communism was actually a spiritual movement and a war against god and it seems this war was somewhat successful because after communism was defeated some russian orthodox christians fearfully sided with the state to avoid future persecutions and understandably so because like i said it was so traumatic 
However, this secular attitude is similar to that of America's tax-exempt Protestant churches who must abide by government guidelines. But again, this all seemingly started with the original Great Schism that occurred only a thousand years after Jesus Christ's death and ascension. Maybe it started even earlier with Rome's pagan Christianity. Regardless, the last days did in fact begin immediately after the Messiah's crucifixion. According to Archbishop Averki Tajev, the fundamental task of the servants of the coming Antichrist is to destroy the old world with all its former concepts and prejudices in order to build in its place a new world suitable for receiving its approaching new owner who will take the place of Christ for people and give them on earth that which Christ did not give them. He went on to say, one must be completely blind spiritually, completely alien to true Christianity, not to understand all this. Even in America, history is being erased as we speak. Books are being burned and rewritten. Monuments are being torn down. But the stage has been set for the Antichrist's arrival for some time. A thousand years is only like a day in the eyes of God. And the science that disproves God has only existed since the 1600s, which followed the Reformation, funny enough, like we said earlier. Yep. So... Sadly, our so-called modern age and all of its so-called progress and prosperity has produced a comfy class of socially decadent nihilists whose souls are starving to hear any spiritually shallow sermon their broken minds can grasp. And this is why, sorry for being harsh, but, and this is why Elder Athanasios, I can't say any of these names, said 95 to 97% of Christians, including the Orthodox clergy, patriarchs, and bishops will bow down before the Antichrist in worship. Most modernized people lack alertness in Christ. In fact, many modernized churches ignore the Antichrist altogether and say it's too confusing for a layman to understand. But this is dangerous. If it were not, the Bible would not have warned us about falling away into apostasy over and over again. Technology has cast a schizophrenic spell on the last generation. Too much information and sensory overload has caused a kind of cognitive dissonance that makes us see our secular lives as separate from our walk with God. Religious and political churches have also made many perceptive people stop believing in God altogether. Like Father Seraphim Rose said, the trials of the last generation will be more psychological than physical. And this is probably why St. Anthony the Great said, simply saying Jesus Christ is God will save some people towards the end. Because it's not our bodies being attacked, but our ability to believe things or faith. Wow. Okay. I have a lot to say. First, I want to go up three paragraphs when you said, um, when you talk about the America's tax-exempt Protestant churches who must abide by government guidelines. That's a huge awakening for people to have if you're in like Protestant churches or you're in like Western 501c3s, right? They literally, mm -hmm. you you posted some information about this maybe last month. Like they legit like can't say certain things, can't talk about, they like sign a contract basically to receive this tax exemption. And then in that there's this unwritten agreement kind of that they won't talk about certain things. Am I wrong on that? Or is that what that is? No, I mean, there's like a, <clears throat> there's like a basic theology that they have to like stick with. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then um, also another thing you say here is regardless, the last days did in fact begin immediately after the Messiah's crucifixion. That was one thing that as a new Christian who fell into conspiracy, um, charismatic Christianity, where I was being taught, we were in the last the end times had just started and we're in the last 10 years of it. The military figure Antichrist is coming up. This is tied to Agenda 30. Look, it's so obvious. This is crazy. We had, we had, um, uh, what's it called? Spiritual delusion? Prelist? Well, yeah, we had prelist to believe that, that this was tied to Agenda 30 and that we were seeing it, you know? No, end times, when I learned end times started, like you say right here, right after Jesus's crucifixion, it's been around for a long time. That opened my eyes up to really understand that futurism was trying to tell me that 
it was this last 10 years and tied to agenda 30 and one military antichrist. But the truth is, and historicism talks about that it is tied to this, that end time started like 2000 years ago. And most of these prophecies already happened. Like if you're waiting around for the pre-tribulation rapture, you've missed it because pre-tribulation is not, is over and done. We are in end times and we've been in end times for a while. And John Darby created the pre-tribulation rapture. Yeah. 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 Dude. I also figured out or discovered, I guess, that Aleister Crowley was in John Darby's cult. Oh my gosh, that's right. Yeah, so it makes sense that he was radicalized into hating God and also basically took all of those fake apocalyptic ideas and um, used them in his idea of the new Aeon, right? Yeah. Like all the, all the, I don't know, I guess ritualistic um i don't know just the way just the way that he describes how they should go about ending the world and scripting revelation and stuff like that like like this comes from crowley and the thalamites yeah like we were talking i was talking about the lucifer stuff and the enlightenment movement now this is all tied together like you bringing up that john darby and alistair crowley were connected like john darby again i'll in case someone's unclear John Darby created this pre-tribulation rapture concept in 1830, supposedly got the idea from a student who wrote something in a paper and pushed this out. Well, he's connected to the Jesuits and now he's connected to Aleister Crawley and Aleister Crawley is this occultist who does ritual magic. So he would have been taking these like the basically that was like the kind of like what's happening on the ground. John Darby, like giving these false um narratives to people well alistair crawley connected that to the spiritual realm because that's what he did and now suddenly the spiritual realm is 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 part of this it's just really i was like oh my gosh like it's it's all one giant <laughs> spell you get what i'm saying am i saying it i don't know yeah no 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 you are it's just crazy it is crazy and okay i want to say a little bit more before you move forward the last paragraph you just read you said technology has cast a schizophrenic spell on the last generation too much information and sensory overload has caused a kind of cognitive dissonance that makes us see our secular lives as separate from our walk with God. You're so right on that. I'm guilty of that. Like, I even think like, it's like you have your, your time with God or you're at church, you're being holy and set apart now, but then, oh, I'm in my life and I'm just doing the best I can. Like, you know, I'm, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so true. That's just like, yeah, that was a good moment reading that. And then yeah, like, I mean the, the the first Christians were mostly monastics, monks, and nuns. Like they rejected the world. Yeah, that's to be holy, which is to be set apart from mm-hmm. the world. And then you say, uh, Father Seraphin Rose said, "The trials of the last generation will be more psychological than physical." That's yes, wow, because we are, and that ties into everything with deep demons and demons programming mind programming being the big spell cast on everybody, which I tie back to ancient Egypt when God delivered the Israelites out of slavery. I don't think it was just like moving rocks around slavery and like digging holes. I think it was mind programming slavery imprisoned in their minds because when you look into mind programming, it does tie back to the Egyptian book of the dead, which is during Mm -hmm. that time when these like Aleister Crawley, these Egyptians were working with the spiritual realm and they learned how to mind control people. Magic is not pulling a freaking rabbit out of a hat. It's controlling Mm -hmm. people to get them to not know who God is, to fall for the crap like 2020, to not know that 9-11 was inside. All this stuff that it was so obvious in front of us that you can't see till God takes those scales off your eyes. Those scales are like the mind programming. That's the real slavery that's going on here. 
And Do- and Sarah, Father Seraphim Rose knew that. He knew that it would be more yeah. psychological today. We are literally in a psychological battle. The battlefield is legit in our mind. Yeah. No, it was nuts when I read those words that our martyrdom will be mental yeah. and not not bodily. Yeah. It, like Because... Like, you know, we've been talking about the ascetics, right? The Christian ascetics who completely rejected their flesh. But yeah, the world has become so evil. We'll talk about this at the end, but the world has become so evil that monasticism is almost impossible. And so Father Seraphim Rose basically said, like, our monasteries have to be our minds and we have to be living in a different world to survive the confusing and strange times ahead. And that other world is the kingdom of heaven, which can be reached in our hearts and our minds. Um. But yeah, you, it's like we're not taught a lot of this stuff unless you're reading the Orthodox Church Fathers. So, Right. If you're afraid of the saints <clears throat> and you're under the um, mind programming that they're the fallen angels like I fell into, you're never going to look into them. And we're almost done with this thread that you've written. And after that, I want to talk about the saints in this. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you thought the saints were fallen angels? Yeah, I want to talk about yeah, that. We'll, we'll talk about okay. that, yeah. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the Antichrist will look like an Orthodox, talk like a charismatic, and act like a Catholic saint. After the Great Schism in 1054 AD, popes began canonizing pseudo-saints. The Orthodox Church believes were actually spiritually deluded or you know, suffering from prelist or even demon-possessed. St. Francis of Assisi was one of the strangest cases. Up until that point in history, all the saints shared similar gifts like prophecy and healing. But unlike every single saint before Francis... Christ's wounds manifested on his body after he passionately and blasphemy, blasphemously prayed to suffer like the Messiah. According to Orthodox Christians, the demonic manifestation demonstrated Francis's lack of humility as well as his overzealousness, a state that is antithetical to the virtue of temperance. And if you want to know about the, the manifestation of Christ's wounds, like look up stigmata. That's what it's called. I just didn't use that word in here. Um, so... Francis would also experience a miracle unlike anything before. In fact, it sounded more like a UFO abduction experience than a vision from God. Francis claimed he was visited by two glowing orbs with people inside them. Inside the first one was God. Inside the other was a different version of himself. But maybe the strangest thing about him was the fact he preached communism. Toward the end of his life, St. Francis seemed to believe he could forgive other people's sins. Then on his deathbed in 1226, he did not fear the Lord or repent like the saints before him did. Instead, he sang with excitement and got naked, which was something he had done before for some reason. He quickly can- he was quickly canonized only two years later in 1228, which was an abnormally short amount of time compared to the saints of the past. <clears throat> Oddly enough, the Indian philosopher Osho also claimed he was a modern Buddha, which I only briefly mentioned because it ties into all the theosophical crap we've been talking about. Anyways, mm-hmm. similar to the experiences of St. Francis, the popes also considered the strange and supernatural apparition of the Lady of the Sun a miracle. In 1917, in Fatima, Portugal, nearly 100,000 people witnessed the Lady of the Sun, or Mother Mary, in quotations, appear in the sky. She stopped the rain and made the sun spin. However, this lying sign and wonder sounded more like a mass UFO sighting too. But Catholic saints continue to see Mother Mary and manifest Christ's wounds to this day. So maybe so-called aliens really are a part of the Antichrist endgame. Ironically, America and Russia are the two countries where UFOs are cited the most, because it's a psyop. Perhaps we will... (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps we... And, you know, Putin and Trump are buddy-buddy, so this is all... It all comes full circle, but perhaps we will... 
Perhaps we will witness another stage war, but it will be in heaven and fought between the Illuminati's legion of demonic extraterrestrials and the Vatican's deceptive angels. Wouldn't the churches be forced to come together and pick a side like they are with Ukraine and Israel? And doesn't Lucifer masquerade as an angel of light? Will the Ark of Gabriel be used in this war? Will the Vatican open its secret archives and reveal so-called new biblical texts about aliens that restore true knowledge of God? Again, the real world is not physical, but spiritual, and there's nothing new under the sun. Maybe this is why St. Simeon, the new theologian, told us to ignore the heavens altogether. He said, the struggler of prayer should quite rarely look into the sky out of fear of the evil spirits who cause many and various deceptions in the air. After all, Lucifer is the prince of the powers of the air, where the first and second heaven, where the principalities and powers reside. Again, only a very small group of people will oppose the Antichrist. They will seem, ins- they will seem insignificant. They'll be called criminals. They'll even be considered insane. They'll be subjected to both secret and public persecutions. But according to St. Niphon of Constantinia, some of them will succeed in hiding themselves from men. They will not perform miracles like the saints before them had, lest they attract too much intent attention. Instead, they'll move about with humility, and because of this, they'll be considered even greater than the church fathers in the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, we have interesting lives ahead of us. Very good. Thank you. Um, yeah, there's a few things I, I want to read, but um, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure you want to go first. Yeah, I just, um, for some reason, I didn't, ca- so when you're talking about St. Francis, um, he had a stigmata, like he prayed to suffer just like Christ did the same level, and then he had a stigmata, but then he also saw a UFO, um, and he was <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. put made a saint like really quickly, like, so he's a kind of crazy guy, but he was made a saint, and he had these crazy experiences. Yeah, the Orthodox considered him deluded and possessed, um, but the Catholics, like, you know, they immediately revered him, so... Basically, what I was implying is that he might be a forerunner or like a archetype of what the actual Antichrist will be like. Okay, kind of like a kind of like a charismatic, kind of religious, but also believing that he himself is Christ-like. So, are there differences? Lack here of with, humility. Sorry, sorry about interrupting. Are there differences with the Orthodox saints and the Roman Catholic saints? Like, do we have different? So, 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 a lot of the ancient saints. Um, the Catholics and the Orthodox share. But after the Great Schism, the Catholics started canonizing new saints that the Orthodox didn't agree with. Which is like St. Francis. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So yeah, do you want me to talk about how I thought the saints were the fallen angels or do you you have something you wanted to say first about the thread? Um, I want to read two more things very quickly. Okay. Because we've been talking a whole lot about asceticism and stuff. Um, but yeah, so here's the full quote by Father Seraphim Rose that I think people will appreciate. He said, the psychological trials of the dwellers of the last times will be equal to the physical trials of the martyrs. In order to face these trials, we must be living in a different world. Um, so yeah, th- and let me just get into why it's going to be so different. So it's possible true Christianity and asceticism aren't even achievable aren't even achievable in these terrible times. Father Seraphim Rose seemed to believe even the air we inhale in the modern age is evil. At face value, this sounds ridiculous, but when we consider things like pollution, chemtrails, and radiation, it seems logical. In the past, demons and sorcery were facts of life, but in the modern age, they hide under the guise of mental illness and technology. This may be even more terrifying because these unnatural things have become unavoidable and accepted, and if you don't accept them, you're crazy. St. Anthony the Great said the last days will be so bad, simply saying Jesus will save someone's soul, even if they don't follow the commandments. Things, aren't, things obviously aren't that bad yet, so these are not excuse, excuses to quit striving. We can still accomplish all things through God, which remains true in any age. 
Um, and I just wanted to add that the early Christians believed the last generation would not be able to live as righteously as they did because the world become too evil to. However, understanding we will most likely never achieve the same ascetic feats as the saints should be humbling and help us love our neighbors even more. Realizing our neighbors are simply products of an evil age should breed empathy and compassion. Yet the early Christians also believed the last generation would be the greatest generation because they understood the psychic torment it would have to endure. It said people will faint from fear and long to die, but death will elude them. It said there will be great suffering such as the world has never seen before and will never see again. So, yeah, these are very strange times we're living in. And, yeah, I hope that makes sense. It so, does make sense. And um, you had mentioned this uh, Father Seraphim Rose quote to me before, and we discussed it a little bit on the phone. Um, but basically like this, that the air is even going to be dangerous for us to breathe. And like that ties into like, stuff that I read first in one of your books a couple years ago about the smart dust coming from the Mm. chemtrails and also just like the graphene and the metals and everything and the vaccines, just all this stuff like where we have mind control and frequencies and it's all coming in through the air. The frequencies are in the air. We can see it when the clouds look really weird. We're like, oh, they've got harp on or whatever. They're doing some kind of mind control with all of that. Like, absolutely. So it's amazing that Father Seraphim Rose was warning people about that, but before like we were here today where it's actually happening and take that a little further tied into this Lucifer concept where he's considered the angel or like the controller of the air, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is yeah. that is that Satan too or is that just like something that the that Well, Lucifer whatever, the demon Yeah, yeah, Satan himself yeah. is the prince of the powers of the air. I just like I said, I called him Lucifer to simplify things. Yeah. But that's just um, it's it's really really interesting that there's this um this kind of focus on the air us not even be able to breathe the air. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, I would like to end this a specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, I want you to comment on it and tell me your story. But I also had a thread where you know I gave a long history of the saints, which we can get into on another podcast. But considering how um, like flaky i am it probably won't be for a while so <laughs> i just want, yeah i just i just want to <laughs> it will happen when end, it happens yeah i just want to end it like this so in conclusion so i wish i were able to give all the context but yeah the saints you should just really read about them the way that they you know created the church we have today the way that they organized the bible the miracles they're performing the just the things they used to do right like going to war with with demons, but, you know, they weren't doing it in the charismatic way. They were literally fighting for, uh, fighting their flesh. And um, so these things appeared to them to try and distract them. However, yeah, these things are not happening anymore the same way because everything's been disguised um, through a modern lens, right? Where they're like an atheistic, materialistic lens or a nihilistic lens. So, Anyways, in conclusion, our world has a long mystical history, and it seems as if the so-called modern age, which began during the Protestant Reformation only 500 years ago, has tried to cover up this fact, or at the very least, ignore it. Perhaps the modern age and all its so-called scientific progress has served only to dilute our faith, pervert true religion, and turn God into an abstraction, rather than a real living person who is not only our friend, but can accomplish all things, even the impossible. Perhaps the modern age is simply a symptom of the great delusion Paul the Apostle talked about, which causes the whole world to believe a lie at the end of time. 
Apparently Nietzsche was kind of right when he said, God is dead and we have killed him. Indeed, modernity has murdered our sense of childlike wonder, the one requirement for entering the kingdom of heaven. However, as the world transitions into a postmodern age and becomes stranger and stranger, many people are beginning to believe in mystical things again. Only they are more pagan than Christian. Sadly, many of these mystical things are truly the lying signs and wonders that will set the stage for the Antichrist spirit to deceive the masses and take over the apostate church. Maybe this is a good thing, though. Maybe more people will come to Christ when they realize our world is a supernatural place that was designed by a supernatural God who founded a supernatural church in the East in 33 AD. And if you already believe this, maybe you've become lukewarm, at least in comparison to the saints. Unfortunately, the modern age has also made us soft, secular, and superficial in our faith, but we will need more saintly people in the days ahead. Our world's mystical history is being erased as we speak. Ancient monasteries and relics are being destroyed by bombs and terrorist organizations. Already we are living in Rome. Oh, wow. <laughs> I like your ending already. We're living in Rome. Um, Yeah, it's true. It's already here. Yeah. All, all roads lead to Rome, right? Mm-hmm. And the Jesuits. And the Jesuits, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, and, it, and it all, it really, really started in the 1500s, 1600s. The, the big shift we're, ha- we're seeing playing out now. That's like a 500-year investment to control humanity. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So I like that you mentioned that the childlike wonder, that that's all that's required to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Is that childlike wonder? Well, following Jesus too, but following childlike wonder can get you to follow Jesus. But that's what they are trying to erase from us in this world by like throwing kids in school. <laughs> Gosh, when they're like two years old now. And that's legit just like handling and mind programming people where they're, you know, we know that. Um, and it, mm-hmm. you you live as a child like on on a full time worker not getting paid literally think about it. when you know <laughs> yeah. you do you go to work five days a week uh, forty hours a week it's called school and you don't get paid and you can't go to the bath only you can't even go to the bathroom when you want like it's worse than mm-hmm. that it's just like it's horrible and and schools look just like prisons school buses school food all of it. Um, so they're, they are totally destroying that childlike wonder. They're destroying the family. Like every, we could talk on and on and on about, yes, they're definitely doing that. Um, and also we see a lot of Christians today arguing with each other, fighting with each other, and it's really disgusting behavior and it's not Christ-like. It's not yeah. even like people that call themselves Christians these days. It's like, I want to do air quotes. It's like, yeah, I'm proud to be a Christian. I, I love Jesus, but I don't like the term Christian. It's so generalized. Like, which denomination? Which belief? It, it, and then, yeah. like, all these Christians arguing with each other, it just seems so gross. Like, that's not... You said something in, in the thread, like, we shouldn't be doing that. We should be coming together and, and like, learning about our church history and our the saints and the things that matter rather than arguing with each other about theology or judging each other in the ways we live. And it's, it's just all by design to kind of gatekeep people from the truth, which is Jesus, not behavior. Well, this is okay. So even if if you're like on the fence about orthodoxy or you think it's heretical because they venerate the saints, like um, don't pray to them. Like, I don't care. Just read about them because these were followers of Christ that truly took the word seriously and they were taught by spiritual mentors who you know dated back to the time of christ who really understood the holy scriptures like you're saying it's important to read it ourselves but i think it's even more important to read it with a priest who has been taught by someone else someone else someone else 
all the way down the line who really understands them, right? Because like we can't rely on our own personal revelations. Um, yeah, and ironically, this is kind of what Protestant churches do, right? Like they rely on the personal revelations of their pastor. Like they tell them what the text really means, at least according to them. But there was at one point one understanding. And what I'm trying to say is that there are verses in there that <clears throat> can there can be whole books written about these verses. Like the Bible itself is in a sense like God. It's like a sun, right? And it's blinding to look at. But the saints are kind of like, you know, little eyeglasses where you can look at the sun in a safer way and pull more from it. So, for example, you know, Paul tells us to be unceasingly in prayer. Well, what does that really mean? Well, we look to the saints and they taught us techniques how to be unceasingly in prayer and in constant communion with God. They also told us, like Jesus told us to go and be perfect. Well, we're obviously not going to stop sinning immediately, but <clears throat> how do we be perfect? It's rejecting the world and becoming a fool for Christ, you know, radically believing what the word says, radically walking by faith. Um, and yeah, so when you read these people, like it helps you feel more grounded in reality, knowing that they were real people who walked the earth. Um, because, you know, Jesus is God. He's so amazing. Sometimes it's hard to grasp him and be like, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus and be like Jesus. I think it's more humble to try and emulate the saints first, if that makes sense. And I had a real apprehension to the saints when you first started talking about them, <clears throat> excuse me, a few months ago. I was like, no, I'm not going to idolize them. I'm not going to worship them. And that's kind of the programming that comes upon you. Um, in the Protestant movements is like Mary's an idol. They Catholics worship Mary. It's blasphemous. Like all these saints, like they're worshiping these saints. It's disgusting. And you get that mindset and it becomes kind of a programming, honestly, the same kind of way. Like I look at how I was asleep to the world pre 2020 was because I never looked into things myself. I just took what was given to me at surface. This is the programming put into us since we were children in our prison schools where you just believe what's taught. You don't question authority and you also get tested on it and you get a good grade if you get their answer right. So here we are mm. as new Christians. And if you fall into the Protestants, which probably you will, because it's at the top, it's at the surface. It's just natural. When you dive in, it's the top. You're going to be there first. You might end up having this mindset that Mary's automatically an idol. They're autom Catholics are all worshiping her. It's wrong. All the saints are um, idols as well. This is blasphemy, idol worship. Um, this is wrong. And But that's how I was thinking when you first started talking about the saints. And I want to just quickly mention that I had a theory for a little while. Christian Karen, when I became that, had a theory that the fallen angels are so tricky that they are making themselves egregores basically with each of these saints. So when you worship Saint Anthony, that's actually probably some tricky little fallen angel who you're worshiping. Does that kind of make sense? What I, I thought the saints were the fallen angels? Oh yeah, it does. But we <clears throat> so it's just crazy. Just clear, I don't we, believe that yeah. at all anymore. Like and just to be clear, we don't worship them like God. We venerate them, meaning like we respect them and honor them, honor their memory and use their righteous examples as blueprints to follow. Like, yes, yeah, they're obviously not God, but we can't disregard their entire existence because these were great 
people of God, soldiers for Christ who truly live the gospel. Yes. And that was so there's nothing demonic about that. No, there's nothing demonic about that. But <clears throat> I legit you remember when you first talked about this, I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. no, I was like, I can't believe like I literally was like, I can't believe he's like worshiping the idols now and all that. And it, then you really you, you take that moment, though, and you think about you dive a little deeper and you think about things, you question things and you go, wait, no. How come when I go to church, I never hear about the church fathers? I never hear about the saints. All these saints were martyrs for Christ for a long time. Yeah, they died and, for their and, faith. Yeah, and nobody, and they're not hearing about them in my Protestant church at all because there's this belief that it's idol worship. And it's like, mother, you know, you get what I'm saying? But no, it's just part of church history. And you're like you said, they're venerating the saints. They're not idolizing them. They're not worshiping them. They worship Jesus. That's very clear that God, God, you know, through Jesus Christ. Yeah. But these saints, the first way it started kind of cracking how I saw them was you said you don't pray to the saints. You pray for the saints to pray for you. Just like you would ask a friend, hey, will you pray for me? That's no different. Mm -hmm. It's asking a saint just to pray for you. And I, yeah, just like. Yeah, it's not praying to the dead because if we believe what the scriptures say, they're alive in paradise. Yeah, exactly. They're the great. They're the great. They're the great cloud of witnesses that are watching us run the race and cheering us on. Why wouldn't we commune with our brothers and sisters who are on the other side just as much as you know we do with our friends and family that are Christians? And so, what about Mother Mary? What? How would you describe to somebody that she's not being worshipped and idolized? I mean, she's just a very important figure. She gave birth to Jesus Christ. I know, right? Right? Why? I know. <laughs> why? Why? When? Why would you not? respect and honor her memory and what she did for the Christian body. Um, it just doesn't make any sense to just forget about her. You understand like John was taking care of her until she passed. And like, you know how traumatic and sad that was for the church when she passed away. Yet we like people hate her now. And I think that's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And even the abomination of desolation, this is probably a stretch, but we talked about this as one of those big prophecies, right, that futurism tells us to watch out for. And when uh, Jesus died, Mary, it's, it's essentially the abomination of desolation can be translated when you look into it through the Hebrew from what I was learning from my friend, that a woman who's a widow who doesn't have a husband alive anymore, it's considered an abo a yeah, type so jo of so Joseph abomination. Died. Yeah, Joseph was dead. There, It's assumed when Jesus was killed. So Mary was alone. So it was an abomination of desolation, which literally have chills, like which would have happened when Jesus was killed, which is when end times started. And it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, I'll have to look deeper into that one. But I mean, as soon as he died and rose and ascended to heaven, and left the world, um, there was immediately great tribulation on the earth. Like Nero had Paul beheaded, Peter hung upside down on a cross. Um, people were scattered from the original churches, being persecuted. There was dead bodies all throughout the streets. The second temple was destroyed. So when Jesus Christ said, you know, truly not one stone will be left unturned here. And he was saying that to this generation, which wouldn't pass until those things happened they saw those things and some of them did flee to the mountains of Judea or the people in Judea did. Some of them did flee to the mountains. Like he told them to. So yeah, the great tribulation happened immediately after the crucifixion 
However, that's not to say we won't see another great tribulation happen again. Only it will be this conspiratorial, weird Jesuit knockoff, right? <laughs> Simulacrum, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You said something. And, and, and that's what's going to bring the denominations back together. But what? You said something about how we're to be perfect. I wrote a note about this just a little while yeah, ago. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus said, go and be perfect. Okay. So Salem, the word Salem, you know that that's translated to to be perfect. It also okay. means peace. And it also means to be perfect. And um, Jerusalem, Jesus was born right outside of Jerusalem, right? Jesus was Mm -hmm. perfect. The prince, Jesus was peace, right? And Mm -hmm. it's just interesting. We think that Salem connection, and I'm going to get a little conspiratorial here, but this eclipse coming up, the great American eclipse, which the first part passed through in 2017 over the United States, just big, this big X eclipse, and it passed through seven towns in the United States that that are called Salem. And, then, and now it's going to pass through ones so, called Nineveh, right? Exactly. So now the, uh, the second half of the Great American Eclipse, which is happening April 8th, will be pa- coming the other way. And it's going to be passing through seven towns with the name Nineveh. And Nineveh, we know, was where Jonah, the prophet, was told to go to warn them that it was time to repent and change their ways or destruction was going to come upon them. He didn't want to go. He ended up in the belly of a fish over not going. Yep. But he ends up having to tell them. And it was like Babylon there. And the United States is kind of like Babylon, this new Atlantis. But supposedly oh, yeah. when Jonah gave this warning to Nineveh, the Assyrian um, eclipse happened, which is which was in 863 BC when Jonah was supposedly there giving the warning to Nineveh. An eclipse was happening. And now we have this eclipse that's about to happen. I just think it's very interesting that um, that Salem, it passed through all these towns that were Salem, which mean to be perfect. And then the other half of it is this passing through of a kind of Babylon, like crazy town that needed a warning. And it's happening over the right over the United States. So I don't know. It's kind of wild. Well, well no, so. no. I mean, it's wild. Like personally, I think this is part of the scripted apocalypse, but it does imply that maybe the book of Jonah is playing out again where people will be called to repent. Um, however, I just believe that this will lead to like the religious revival, the fake one and possibly civil war between the radical right and the radical left. That's yeah. kind of how I'm seeing this, but yeah, no, totally it is. But like, but when you think of God, we know that God uses the luminaries. Genesis 10 tells us, as the signs of, not Genesis 10, but it's in Genesis, as the signs of the times and stuff, like the stars, the sun, the moon, and the eclipse would be like a showing of the signs of the times. Well, if God's in control of all that, how could you say that that's part of the scripted apocalypse and not just an actual kind of like prophetic thing happening? Like how would we know the difference? you don't think the occultists who created this country knew that there was going to be all these cities named Nineveh and all these cities named Salem, like, or like the, the fake Egypts that are around America, like the little Egypts. Yeah. Um, oh, you're right. Like this is like a cult. Um, and what, what were we talking about? Like a long, long time ago where it's like the spiritual mapping stuff. Like yeah. this is kind of what they have planned in advance for a very long time. Yeah. And you know, people aren't super competent. So you know, I think people that have been, you know, occultists, Freemasons who set up this country were influenced by spirits to do things a certain way to make these rituals play out four dimensionally or, you know, crossing space and time like they 
are synchromystical in nature. They transcend, um, like I said, space and time. Anyways, <clears throat> yeah, people probably didn't set this up. It was the spirits influencing them. Absolutely. And it, it seems ritualistic to me. Totally. That's like where the Aleister Crawley came in and joined up in the 1800s. And he's like, hey, guys, well, this is going to happen. Let's tie this all together to put out your narrative. Mm -hmm. um, so to kind of like conclude this chat here, I want to talk a little bit about how I'm as a new Christian, like discovering all this stuff that we've been talking about and how it's kind of changed um, my walk with Christ, because my testimony is very simply, I thought Jesus was fake for 38 years. And then the Holy Spirit punctured me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is God in the flesh. I'm following him. I believe in him. My whole life has been changing. The first thing that I was taken to was um, this uh, unbiblical guidance person that came into my life that brought me into the charismatics and started teaching me futurism and all of this fake apocalypse churchianity stuff. Well, then I rebounded and I found a church and I started going to a Bible church, which is considered non-denominational that just reads from the Bible and teaches the Bible. I got baptized there. I'm so happy I did that. But then I'm learning all this stuff about church history. And it just, as somebody who's searching from the truth, it's not a choice. You have to see that orthodoxy is the closest denomination to when Jesus Christ was here. When he told Peter, you'll start my church on this rock. I, some people say that's metaphorical. Some people say it was talking about Peter's spirit. But I really see it as Jesus just like starting the Catholic, which means universal, or which is just orthodox church. And so I went and visited an Orthodox church last week, and I just wanted to say a little bit about the differences that I noticed from first going to a Protestant. Well, first I went to a Bible study online that was charismatic and conspiratorial, and it totally burnt me. It really ma like made me question Christianity big time. I started realizing there are denominations. Then I start going to a Bible church, and I love that I'm learning about the Bible, and I recognize the church is not perfect. I recognize as I'm learning more that they may not realize about futurism or whatever. But now I found out that, you know, the Orthodox is closest to Jesus, closest to the historical truth of the church. So I went to an Orthodox church. My Bible church is like a mega church. It's huge. You've been mm -hmm. before. It's like 500 people and there are a thousand. Um, the band plays on stage. I've got, it's like a rock band. Um, at first I hated that because it rubbed, it just felt wrong. But now is it, I like the music because I'll cry during the music. Like it moves me, but it's not the Psalms. It's stuff that they actually write the songs. Well, can I say one thing real quick? Yeah, but I do want to continue. Yeah, I'm just, I just want to point out that the reason that the Orthodox sing the Psalms kind of weird, like people would be like, why does it sound so like monotone sometimes is because the point is, is that they are not trying to impassion people or excite the passions, right? It's supposed to be kind of stoic. Um, because yeah, music does do that. It pulls on your emotions and makes you cry and stuff. But like that might not even be genuine reverence of God. It could just be your emotional, right? Yeah, like and we're, and we're like told, regular. We're told to keep like even keel, basically. That a fruit of the spirit is that you're not like insane or like way yeah. to this or to that. And so that is interesting to think about how the music and the Protestant church I've gone to it does get those emotions stirring in me. And I do believe that this ties to everything I believe about uh, the spiritual realm, being a sensitive person who got misdiagnosed bipolar because I'm overly sensitive. But the truth was there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just a highly sensitive person. And I've had crazy experiences with the spiritual realm where I've seen it. Spirits have come and spoken to me. I've done all these insane things. I've talked about it before. How did that happen? I believe because I'm a 
hypersensitive person. Sensitivities can come out in emotional responses. So I do believe the spiritual realm, which is where disembodied spirits would exist, like demons, influence us, give themselves life in us by whispering thoughts in our head or by changing frequencies around us. So our programming changes and then our chemical reactions in our body make us act a certain way. So that's exactly tying into like the stuff you're saying about the church and why the Orthodox Church would might want to keep their music more monotone, just and more yeah. level because that's kind of like self discipline fruits of the spirit tone frequency. Yeah, but and, but God knows the heart, and if you're crying in reverence to God, that's a good thing. And I like your pastor; like I thought he was level headed. I love my like, pastor, and yeah, honestly, yeah. I love my church uh, that I've been going to. Um, and I I'm not like. Okay, so like I'm not definitely not talking bad about it at all. I love it, though it has this mega church vibe, though it has the band. I now love the yep. music. I will cry, and it does feel like I'm close to God. I feel the Holy Spirit in that church. I know the Holy Spirit's in that church because it's the first church I would ever go to in my whole life. It was the first church. I, I was very skeptical of it. it. took like six months kind of observing that church just to even go, and then I ended up liking it so much I got baptized there. Like I... The people are wonderful there. I love my pastor, Brad Thomas. I love, I've learned so much about the Bible. Um, I've taken communion there. It has meant something to me there, though it's not like Eucharistic, like the Greek or the Orthodox Church. Um, my fiance, Jody, goes to church with me. He wasn't going to any other church before. Like, it's a good entrance church. And we do need to start somewhere when we first dive in as new Christians. It's the been the perfect place. But I don't just want the milk. I want the meat of the Bible. And because I'm extremist and I've discovered the truth is closest to orthodoxy, I had to go to an orthodox church. So what do I yeah. see at an orthodox church? Immediately for going, I went two days ago. I walked in and it's a little church. It's probably only like my church is like 500 to 1,000 people. This orthodox church was just like maybe like uh, 200 people inside at the most. It's you walk in and instantly I smell like mirth and frankincense and it evokes something in me that I can't put words to. There's something very feels connected to God when I smell the yeah. incense. Yeah. Yeah. So someone, ex someone explained this to me where it's like a reflection of the Trinity. Like the incense itself is like the Holy spirit, like the smoke, the candle. I don't, I don't remember. Yes. I'll have to, but I do want to say real quick that, um, the like, okay. So orthodoxy, I've been warned by multiple people now that orthodoxy is like a deep, deep spiritual well. Right. And, you don't want to become an extremist like me or you and gulp it up all at once. Like don't dive in head first, like sip it slowly and appreciate it. Um, Cause yeah, my priest told me, he's like, stop going to monasteries. <laughs> like you're going <laughs> to, you're going to burn yourself out. Like this is not um, like most of the monks and the saints who did live ascetic lives, like they prepared for years and years and years. So it's, definitely okay to take your time and patience is a virtue and steadfastness is the steadfastness and humility is what the saints demonstrated the most. And that's why they were, you know, I guess worthy to experience all the miracles, like genuine miracles that they did. Yeah. So don't get into the seeking mystical experiences. Like the mystical stuff will come. Um, but yeah, I, I hope I, yeah, no, I, I love sense. what you said. I, I agree. And that's great advice. Um, I, and I'm definitely personally tiptoeing into orthodoxy. So I went to the church. Instantly, I walked in. I just want to say more about my experience, just kind of like share with people that are curious the difference between my Protestant church with this Orthodox church called St. Elias on 11th Street in downtown Austin. Walked in, smelt the incense. I get inside. The church is totally different. There are colors painted all over the wall, 
beautiful art of the saints all over the place, like chandeliers with like candles. There are candles lit in there. Um, the priest is wearing like uh, like cloaks and garments that like Aaron and like that wore like at the tabernacle. It's set. Yeah, the, the priesthood. Church, yeah, the church is set up like the tabernacle. The, um, you have that those uh, the choir, just a couple people singing, like you said, as you come in and you stand the whole time, and basically and um. It's uh you 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 did warn me before I went. You're like it's going to be different. Like you're going to be in your head a lot, like praying and kind of wrestling with yourself. And I was ready for that. It was a v- v- huge focus on prayer. And then um, when the priest gave the liturgy, right? It's just a short, like five minute, like reading from the Bible. And he discussed um justification. He talked about how um there's uh there I can't remember exactly which part of the Bible it was, but where um, there is a Pharisee praying to God. Oh, and he's yeah, like, and I the don't tax wanna... man. Yeah, and the tax man. And he's like, I'm not like the tax man, or da 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 And then the tax man just down on the ground, like just like looking at God, like, I'm horrible. And it's just talking about how the <laughs> yeah, Pharisee... Yeah. It was great, though. It was short, but man, I started crying. I teared up, and I was like, hey. oh my God, because justification. No, it's just like you're justifying yeah. that you're doing something wrong. That's the Pharisees. And that it meant so much to me. Uh, and just a short little yeah. liturgy. It didn't need an hour of a sermon being told to me. It came out. It was just like, like quick. Here, what were you? Gonna yeah, say? yeah. There's, there's no BS filler. There's no MLM pitches or, you know, asking for tithes or like, any of that stuff. It's literally just straight to the point. And um, yeah, every most Orthodox churches follow the same calendar. So like. Yeah, the only reason I knew what you were talking about is because my church gave the same exact sermon. Like, obviously, every priest gives their own take on things, but they read the same verses at the same time all around the world. Wow. I don't, I don't know if you knew that. I didn't but know yeah. that. That's amazing. So, yeah, we're all, as a body, reading about the tax man right now. And, yeah, I love that story, too, because, like, the Pharisee, he's thanking God for not making him as horrible as the tax man. And the tax man's sitting there being like, God, please save me. I'm a sinner. Yep. And so the only one that walked away justified that day was the tax man who saw his own sin. And I think it might have been St. Anthony the Great. Some saint said that, um, or maybe Simeon New Theologian, I don't remember, but one of them said, the real blessed one is not the one who sees miracles or angels, but the one who sees his own sin. Wow. And I just, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, True. Yeah. But yeah, the, yeah, the Orthodox Church is beautiful. Um, beauty is going to save the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially in this decaying dump we call society. That's what made me want to run away to the mountains because it's like, you know, I feel so different since coming back. Like I, I, I want to go back to the wilderness, but yeah, I don't know if I'm cut out for it. And ironically, I called a monk I met and was like, yeah, like I really feel called to monasticism, but I just don't think I'm good enough for it. And he's like, none of us are. <laughs> He's like, yeah. he's like, only, only God can do the impossible. And if God wills it, it will happen. But you know, like, again, take your time. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I have to take my time because going back to my experience after the liturgy, then they do the Eucharist and they, mm-hmm. and it's truly believed in the Orthodox church. And I also think like the Catholic Roman Catholic, that that Eucharist turns into the body of Jesus and his blood. And you can't yeah. take it. It's very clear. You cannot take that unless you are fasting and you have confessed like recently. Like yeah. that's the way it is. I, of course, I wanted to go take the Eucharist. I wanted the full experience, but yeah. I did not do it. Um, but I do want to do it. But I will say 
I'm not there yet where I believe yeah, that's yeah. the actual blood and body. I'm not there yet. I need to be, I want to be really honest right now with everybody. That's why I want to share a little bit here about mm-hmm. my experiences and that I still really love my Protestant church. I'm not going to stop going there. I'm not also going to stop going to the Greek church. I'm going to, or sorry, the Orthodox church. Um, I, I'm in, I'm kind of like, I'm learning still like, cause I, I'd be lying if I was like, yeah, I believe that's the blood, the, the blood and the body. Now I'm, I'm not there yet, but that's what they believe. And it's very interesting think about like because it's a miracle and you know it is a miracle and some people have problems with miracles but i believe every moment is like a miracle i don't know how my heart's beating i don't really understand how the the air is going in through my lungs except for god is doing that so i do i'm open to the fact that yes that can become the blood and body of christ but to conclude my thought on that i we don't understand it either the apostles didn't but i have been (laughs) uh, yeah I have been a vegetarian. I eat fish. That's it for like over 20 years. And I want to eat meat, but I'm having a psychological problem with doing it. I don't know if you've heard me talk about this on social media. And Mm-mm. I had a thought. I was like, I think that when I am ready, when I've done, I think it's catechism, catechism, like you do, you go through the process where you can take the Eucharist. Yeah. That will be eating meat when I do that. Cause that will be the, yeah, yeah. I will be believing that's the body of Jesus. And I think that's when I'll start eating meat in real life too. That's <laughs> I like that. I know, I know. Um, but yeah, yeah, I I love how you were saying like you were so, you know, kind of zealous to to take the Eucharist. Like, as am I. Like <laughs> I started my catechumen process um a couple weeks ago. And can you explain what yeah, that like, is, I, please? I mean, you basically just gotta be taught about what you actually believe and make sure you're ready, right? You can't just walk in willy-nilly and take part in the holy mysteries without revering them and being in awe and understanding exactly what it is. Like I said, we don't fully understand the mystery, but we at least have to know what it implies and what it's for. And yeah, so like, but the point is to struggle for it, right? Like you can't, you have to be patient. You have to be steadfast to get it. And like, it's amazing that we haven't even taken it yet because our lives are just beginning. Like we thought that our whole lives were, just starting when we first found God, but like, I feel like this is a whole new world, a whole new chapter that I didn't even know existed. And it's a miracle in itself because I, you know, falling into the other churches at first, like my faith was totally shaken. I didn't give up, but I was about to, because I was like, man, all the other stuff just was, is deeper. How can it be so fake? You know, this can't be, what the truth is. And I'm glad he showed it to me. I mean, he, like God showed it to me. I didn't just find it. He allowed the Holy Spirit to guide me into all wisdom. Like, I mean, I'm not all wise. I'm not saying that, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like, no, you're just I get what you're saying. Spirit. No. And, and yeah. I, and I've thanked you for sharing your journey so boldly because it's helped me. It, it, and, it's, and it's not some, it's not a choice. It's once you, like I said, once you learn the church history and you see where it leads you to orthodoxy, you can't deny it. And we were One, just, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And we were kind of discussing the other day that Protestantism almost feels like a spell in a weird way that you fall into. Like you said, it kind of, ca- all these denominations, there's going to be a net that catches you wherever you came from in the new age or the occult or of this world. You will find it's the culty denomin- divisive. Yeah. It's yeah. culty divisive and doesn't let you use your brain, but sorry. Yeah. Keep going. No. And, and it, it feels, but all of a sudden it's just like, it feels really simple to me. Like the, if anybody can take 
something simple from this whole conversation we're having. It's that when you look at Protestantism, the 40,000 denominations, you had the Protestant Reformation that helped create that. You had the Great Schism before that, which was the big, big split. And then when you go back to Jesus, that it's, it's orthodoxy. Like It's just like you can't deny that that's the closest yeah. to the original church. And it, it's... That yeah, the is, Protestant, the Protestant but it, but church but, has... But once you see it, it's so obvious. That's why I feel yeah. like it's a spell that you fall into yeah. the Protestant denominations and you stop there. No. I mean, the fact is that the Protestant church had no saints, has no history, unless you go back 500 years and that's about it. They have no real traditions unless someone just made them up and said, no, this is the right way. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a copy of a copy of a copy. It's a simulacrum. It's far removed from the original truth. Um, and yeah, it's sad. And <clears throat> also I just don't want to seem like I'm hating on these people. Like I said, I believe that Protestants can have an experience with Christ and they truly desire him. Um, but at a certain point you're going to have to ask yourself the question, like, do I want the fullness or am I content like this to be increasingly led astray towards this like false end time stuff? It is the great falling away. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to back down on that. Because what has, what are all these different churches doing? They're falling away from the one church. Yeah. Um, but one thing I do want to brag about is that, and, and I'll share all of these things and like, we'll do a testimony episode yeah. for sure. And maybe, yeah, and we'd maybe love more to have f- your testimony on here whenever you're ready to give it the full story. And maybe, yeah. Maybe more fake apocalypse stuff um, in the future. But um, yeah, one thing that was like super encouraging and amazing was just like, the whole reason I even went to my first monastery was because I was reading Father Seraphim Rose. And then, you know, I was led to other monasteries and I kept meeting Father Seraphim Rose's friends. Like it was just, wow. it was just amazing. It was just, it was just amazing. Like I wow. felt like, yeah, definitely not my own doing. Like there is definitely divine providence. Everything's divine providence. And when we really believe that, that's that peace we were talking about. Like go and be perfect. Like realize that God is in control of everything. And when he, when you realize he's in control of everything, you stop wrestling with everything, right? Yeah. You don't fight, you don't fight anything anymore. You just wait for things to happen while doing what you're supposed to do. That's right in front of you. You know what I mean? Dude, that's so amazing for you to say, because as we've been trying to complete this series, you and I even had a couple moments I'm done with Nick. Like I can't get him to commit to this. I've given the, I've told my listeners, this is coming out. We're doing this series and now it's been over a month and I want to do this in my time and my way. And, and it was stressful and it never worked out. Like crazy things were happening. Like your headphones would break while we were recording or like all of a sudden <laughs> you're on the road and I can't get a hold of you or whatever it was. But here we are now. We're almost two hours into this conversation. It's just flowing there. And yeah. it's like I said, you've been going to these monasteries. You've been learning about the orthodoxy. You've been going. You started your catechism. And I went to the Orthodox Church. And that is where this is leading us. And so I think mm-hmm. that it's all got to be in God's timing. We all need to stop. Like, even when we pray, when at, just in that little liturgy at the Orthodox sermon I went to on Sunday, when he was talking about the tax collector and the Pharisee, like the Pharisee was praying for himself. I am not like the tax collector, da, 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 da. But then it's like the tax collector is like falling down to his knees and he's like, God, how can I serve you better? It's like, our prayers need to be for God. 
not what works yeah. for us. Like if I'm praying to God, God, please let me finish the fake apocalypse series with Nick. Please make <laughs> me so That's so selfish. What about instead praying to God and humbling myself and be like, God, whatever content I'm making today, I want it to glorify you or to, to be the message that you want out in the timing that you want. Because then when I lean on my own understanding, I just mess things up. Yeah, make me do your will. Yeah. Not mine. Yeah. Well, Nick, I feel like this is a, kind of a good place to sum up this conversation. This is, I hope, this has been amazing for me. This has been, this series has been life-changing for me. And I'm so glad that you have, you've kind of been diving a little bit ahead of me, definitely into this stuff. And I learn a lot from you and I'm so appreciative of it. Um, so thank you for for sharing everything that you've been learning on this journey with everyone. Yeah, thank you for still having me and forgiving me for being a flake. <laughs> of course, yeah. We have to. It's what you were saying about see everybody as sinners and like have compassion for them and none of us are perfect and and that's like also a great thing to end with is like we're supposed to love everybody, our enemies, pray for our enemies, love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't argue with them and judge them and tell them that they're living life wrong as if you're perfect. And it's wonderful that there are these Protestant churches out there because they're there for the right time for when you're there, like I'm still like, like I said, I still like my Protestant church. Um, we're not saying that the Holy Spirit can't be there or you can't be saved there. We're just trying to share information because it is kind of weird that these Protestant churches don't talk about the saints, don't talk about church yeah. history. Like there's something missing. And it is when you get into an Orthodox church and you see the color and you smell the smells, and you get these kind of like visceral sensations. And the candlelight. Yeah, and the candlelight. And I'm huge on candlelight. That's missing in the Protestant churches. It absolutely is. And not that they're not great, but they're missing this visceral experience that is this full experience of God. And yeah, candles candles are huge. I'm looking at a candle on my desk. I love, I've told you, I like writing a can, lighting a candle when I write. Um, yeah, Christians Christians used to be forced to hide and worship. Like, you know, again, I'm going to listen to the saints who are actually persecuted for their faith. These people were worshiping and hiding in caves. And that's why the candles are so important to me. Like, it reminds us of them, right? Like, when they were forced to worship in darkness. I mean, God is said to live in an unapproachable light that no one has ever seen. And he dwells in darkness. So I think that is just amazing to, like, you know, create that type of ambiance. Yeah. And I think it's important. I think, I think it invokes his presence. Um, and yeah, so like it even goes back to Moses, right? Like Moses, when he first kind of like encountered God, it was the burning bush, right? It was, it was full on light. Like this yeah. is kind of like the Protestant, it was kind of the Protestant experience, like full on light. But then the next time he encountered God, it was like in a cloud, right? It became more confusing. And then the last time you encounter God, it was in complete darkness. So God, your understanding of God as you go from the milk to the meat is going to become more and more mystical and mysterious. Wow. And yeah, so if you're looking for that, go to, the Orthodox, go to the Orthodox Church, start reading Orthodox books. I do not hate Protestants by any means. I'm more so mad at the Protestant church itself and the, and the wolves in sheep's clothing who know they're wrong, but are making yep. too much money to, to admit it. Yep. Pride cometh before the fall. It's pride. Yeah. And I wanted to read this first, just real quick, First um, John 2.27, because I do, like, I love what you were saying about how reading the saints' perspectives on things is powerful, because they lived these crazy lives where they were martyrs for Christ, and they did these extreme things, and we can really learn from them. But I also think that's man. So I don't, I, I still stand that we should all read the Bible on our own as well. We should have a really strong personal relationship with God. We should be 
praying and communing with God all the time, as well as learning from the saints, as well as going to the church, as well as gathering with believers. But First John 2.27 is, I have written these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But just as his true and genuine anointing teaches you about all things, so remain in him as you have been taught. Um, so it's just like, it's just John saying, you know, we have that, we get the anointing, like when we have the Holy Spirit, God remains in us and he will not forsake us. He will not leave us. We hear that over and over in the, in the Bible. And so I just really always want to stress that personal relationship with God and don't be afraid yeah. to read with the Holy Spirit, but add on top of that, commune with believers, um, yeah. get involved in the church, learn and don't be afraid of the saints and this historical even if you don't want it, like Nick said, you don't want to pray to them because you're afraid of the idol worship. I didn't want to either at first, um, but learn about them and, it, and and open your heart to all of this. It increases it increases your faith when you when you see what they went through. Like yeah, a lot of a lot of them began as terrible people just like us. Yeah, like drunks and philosophers and even occultists, right? But they were saved and sanctified, and that's encouraging. There's nothing and, to be afraid of about them yeah. at all. There's nothing evil. They are not the fallen angels. That's a spell. Yeah. So if you've been like disaffected by Protestantism, like I was like, don't be discouraged because sometimes, you know, like a good teacher, God will take you out of the classroom to make sure you have a personal relationship with him and he'll continue to guide you to where you need to go. Because like Kara said, yeah, you shouldn't, um, at least not forever. Don't stay outside the church forever. There is one that will be your home. Um, and that's where our salvation is, is communing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, iron sharpens iron. We need to be around them. Yeah. We can't, we can't, um, you know, be lone wolves all the time because it leads to pride and delusion. Yeah. Um, so, which I suffered from extremely. <laughs> and, and I still, I still do. But um, yeah. yeah, I have had to pee the last hour. Me too. So oh my I, God, I do too. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Nick, for coming on and for talking about all of this. You're definitely going to be yeah. back on. I'm sure there'll be stuff mm -hmm. that happens in the news where we have to talk about current event fake apocalypse stuff. And I want, to, I would love to share your testimony if that's God's will here on the on the yeah, podcast. Yeah. But um, pray for one another. Um, we love you all. Thank you for being our friends. And that's it. That's it. Um, yeah, I'm glad I didn't share it because it's still going on. So all <laughs> things in God's timing. Yeah, all Nick right. and I both have books coming out too. Memoirs about um, yeah, our, our finding, you know, getting to this place. But coming soon. All right, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for being our friends. Later. <laughs> <laughs>